This week on Invasion of the Podcast, Steve gets another chance to talk about Batman. Are we tempted by the Apple of Amazon Prime's limited series, Good Omens? And does the man behind the slasher know his summer camps? We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a spaceship. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. People of Earth, attention. It's the invasion of the podcast. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? And welcome to Invasion of the Podcast, where they try to take over the world one listener at a time. I am Paul, to my left is Steve. Hello, everyone. And yeah, um, I don't know. We're going to talk about some good omens. We're going to talk about uh, some tacos here in a second. We're going to talk about camp, camping. It's going to be a it's fun a episode. It's a summertime episode. You yeah. got tacos, which actually you can talk about tacos anytime That's of the year. That's true. Um, tacos are appropriate time of year. Yeah. Uh, uh, summer camps. Uh, Movies. The end of the world is appropriate any time of year when it happens. That is fair. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, so this is where we normally talk about our weekend for forty-five to fifty minutes. So uh, I will. I will admit this was a little easier weekend for me that I've had recently, just because. I know I always will mention the other show that I do, uh, Strange Highways with Kevin. Uh, we had been doing regular episodes and also watching the 2019 revival of The Twilight Zone with Jordan Peele. So yeah. we were doing two episodes a week on top of our episode. So I was doing like three, basically three podcasts, podcasts a, week. a week. It was starting to run its course and get a little a little rough around the edges, let's be honest. Uh, but we finished up the 2019 revival of The Twilight Zone. If you guys want to hear that, um, we have a Patreon at Strange Highways. Check it out. It's a buck. Listen to that. You can even sign up for CBS All Access for free for like 30 days and check out the series. I think now that it's over, I think people might be more inclined to go sign up for the free trial and watch the series. Yeah. I mean, I, I just uh, recently got CBS All Access, uh, and I will say that, uh, and we've discussed this already off, off mic, but uh, I was like, all right, I'm going to dig into Jordan Peele's... Uh, Twilight Zone. Ooh, there's a bunch of prices right on here. And that's exactly what I did <laughs> when I signed up for the CBS All Access. I looked at it and I was like, what all shows do they have? Because it's one of these weird things when you realize that a lot of parent companies that have produced shows that weren't necessarily aired on the network in which they own the, the rights to, yeah. like they have the entire run of Cheers. Yeah. Like that's weird to me. Just much like with because Brooklyn Nine NBC show. Yeah. Yeah, because it was on NBC, but like with Brooklyn Nine Nine being on Fox for the first five seasons, but it was actually produced by NBC Universal. It's just a weird world, right? So yeah. uh, CBS All Access has some interesting stuff, but the big draw is Price is Right and then Twilight Zone. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's like once you get past Twilight Zone, Price is Right, and Star Trek, there wasn't a whole lot for me. The Strange Angel show seems interesting. Um, the, the Was it the Under Surveillance or what, that show with Tim Meadows that looks like that might be kind of fun? It's kind of like a cop show, but it kind of deals with like all the, the mundane stuff in between things. I will say, too, like, and I don't know how many episodes they have recorded from previous seasons or whatever, but they only had like the most pre, the most current season of Price is Right. I feel like if I'm paying for a subscription service of that magnitude for that fee, which I'm not right now, but like I, 
It's almost as if you brought someone's password to get in. I don't it's, know. It's, it's crazy. That, um, that has never happened in the history of streaming services <laughs> at all. But what I'm saying is, is that I feel like there should be if you can't show if you can't put all episodes up, understandable. But there should be a selection of the Barker episodes available. You know, or what even I mean? before him. Like yeah. I think it'd be fun to be like, here you go. Because if Game Show Network can show every episode to tell the truth. And all this, like, you know, I don't know. I I feel like you're right. Like, if I had the opportunity to go back and watch some Price is Right episodes from when I was growing up, I would lose my mind. That would be a lot of fun. Because I remember, like, you'd have a sick day from school. You'd just watch the Price is Right. That was exactly what you did. If you had a sick day from school, it was like, ooh, I get to watch Price is Right today. And I remember I was like in third or fourth grade and there was something, it must've been towards the end of the year because that's when the teachers just don't give a shit where it's like, okay guys, just don't kill yourself in the classroom. <laughs> and someone brought in a boom box with the TV in the middle where you could like use the antenna. And we just watched prices. Right. I remember there How did was, you watch that in a classroom setting. Cause that, that screen couldn't have been bigger. It than wasn't like that big. You're right. Four inches yeah. by three. Inches. But I just remember watching it. And one of my teachers actually called a price out correctly, like under one of the games. And I, I looked up like, how did you know that? He just kind of gave me a wink. I'm like, this guy's God. Like that's how there's to it. Um, so yeah, like I don't blame you for watching The Price is Right, which I will also recommend now that's on Netflix. There is a documentary called The Perfect Bid. I was just going to bring that up because we'd watched that like two weeks ago. It's not a bad documentary. It's not. It's. it's I wish there was more around yeah. it, but it's still interesting, the story of it. It's like an hour and 10 minutes <laughs> or whatever. The fact that he went to the, the, the trouble of building his own version of Price is Right on his computer yeah, so that he could make sure that he learned all the prices was really impressive. Yeah. So check out that documentary. But yeah, so Steve, you were not wrong by watching Prices Right before Twilight Zone. I will get to Twilight Zone soon, I promise. But yeah, I I am also a patron of your uh, your guys' <laughs> Patreon service. I have not listened to those Steve, episodes Steve yet. Steve pays me money to be my friend. I do. So that's what it comes... No, no, that's, that's not... No. the arrangement I have with all my friends. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, oh, is it, the, is, it, is it the first of the month? Here's a 10. Just, are we cool? <laughs> And Ryan's like, maybe. <laughs> no, I don't. That's that's calling into question your guys' years of friendship and collaboration. Yeah, I owe around. him a lot of money. <laughs> like he called you up. He's like, listen, the tab's coming due. You're like, no, no, no. no I'm no. good for it. Like Once... Once, once we, we're going to go back to a con, we're going to sell every copy of the slasher <laughs> and, you know, and beyond sunset. We're going to, we're going to be good. Like, Amazon's going to pick it up for a limited, uh, limited series. series. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Anyway. Um, so, uh, this weekend uh, was actually relatively easy just because I didn't have to worry about Twilight Zone stuff. And it was great in the sense that like, I could kind of like, though we were watching good omens, which is a six hour series on Amazon, uh, prime. It's it's a it's a pretty easy watch. It isn't like you have to be super committed to do it, but it's still six hours of television. Yeah, and the episodes are close to an hour each. This isn't like a roundup from forty three minutes. No, it's about six hours. Um, but I had a relatively easy weekend, so it was nice to not have a ticking clock over my head the entire sure. time. You know. So anyway, uh, Saturday. Uh, speaking of strange highways, I went out with uh, with with Kevin, not by himself, with with his wife and my wife, and we went to go see Joel McHale, uh, hilarities downtown. Uh, no, sorry, Pickwick and Frolic. Sorry, nice. downtown Cleveland. Um, a wonderful show. It was a lot of fun. Joel McHale's great live. Mm-hmm. Just like just imagine him being an, like a jerk in front of everybody. Great, and <laughs> he, he's a jerk with a heart, though. Like I'll say that. Like you know, he will say snarky things, but also reveal his human side. The entire time, and he he made this whole joke about like, oh, you guys are Cleveland. Is anybody here like your Indians fans? Everyone's like, yeah. It's like, well, there was a game today. Like, why aren't you there? He's like, kind of ribbing the audience, and yeah. it's like, oh, but you know the Indians. Like, you know, it's like I was looking at the uniforms. He's like, I just see a C now. He's like, does Chicago get another team? He's like, 
someone told me that Chief Wahoo went away. And he's like, and how do you, you know, you guys, how do you guys, do you guys like Chief Wahoo? And some people started cheering. He's like, oh, so you like racism? <laughs> just on your sports teams? <laughs> like something to that effect. And it was like wonderful for him to set up the, the whole thing and just knock him down. Um, so it was great to see him kind of take the piss out of the audience and then talk about him playing in various venues and some of the reactions he's gotten. Uh, no, it was a good show. Uh, I will say... Before that, we went to a restaurant, like a, a, a local restaurant that serves like really wonderful like tacos and, and, and like the whole, it's it's a really nice interior like setup, but it's just, they serve like street tacos, but like really well done. So we'll say that. I'm not going to name the places because I like it a great deal. And the story I'm about to tell isn't the, the, isn't the happiest in the sense of what happened. So we're eating our food. It's a good time. And it was one of those things where like, I still had like a side I was still working on and the server came over and she's like, oh, are you finished? And I was like, no, I'm still working on it. And then she's like, oh, okay. And then she just picks it up and takes it. <laughs> what? <laughs> and, and, and I looked at Kevin and I was like, in my mind, I was like, okay. Like the, the words, I'm still working on it means I guess I'm taking this away from you now. And uh, and it was just one of those moments that I'm not going to be like, no, 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 no. I need the three bites of that still, please. Like, you haven't finished this in the allotted time slot. So. Yeah, and they did that later too because we ordered like two plates of like chips and salsa or whatever. And they're like, oh, are you guys like, oh, we're just going to take that too. And it was like, Oh, I didn't realize that this was like a game show where Willie had like 15 <laughs> seconds to get all the nachos and dip. Uh, but it was one of those things where I'm like, I'm just going to let it go. Like, I'm not upset, but it was just bewildering. It's like, you, you literally asked me if I'm done with this. And I, I said no, and you took it from me. Like, it was weird. Yeah. I mean, there's always that awkwardness when like, like, oh, are you done with that? And you're like, no, I'm still eating yeah. it. Please don't take it away from me. But uh, yeah, <laughs> the fact that they just took it away from you is <laughs> the table to the left of us was actually outside on a patio, and we saw uh, like a monarch butterfly land on some like somebody's like dish of like Mexican rice, and it quickly flew away. And I was like, "That's just probably ask, like the the, the butterfly is like, are you done with this rice?" And then like it was just taking one grain at a time and being like, "Oh, you're done with this, right?" Like it's what it felt like. It just it was it was still a wonderful meal and I, I enjoyed it a great deal. But it was one of those moments I'm like, "That's not what I said." Like, <laughs> so anyway, that was my. Had weekend. you said yes, I'm done with it. Maybe she would have left it there. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the secret code to leaving food that I'm paying for on the table. Uh, I, I just, whatever. I just, it was one of those things. I'm sure it was just a miscommunication, but it was like literally like I said it and it got taken from me. And just like the looks I was given, I was like, all right. Yeah. I mean, I will say most Mexican restaurants that I go to as well, when it comes to the, like, uh, the nachos and usually salsa, they don't take it away. Like usually no, this it's, place it's was, constant refills it's, throughout the meal. This like, place didn't give it to you complimentary. You had to order it separate. Uh, okay. So that you're right. Cause normally the, 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 that, that, that's the real trick is you go to places like this where they give you the chips and salsa. You get filled up on that because you're hungry waiting for your entree. And then, then, you know, you don't order dessert, which I would think that you'd want to make more money. So leave everybody starving. But no, like you're right. Every other restaurant I've been to where it's like, oh, you guys need more salsa and they just come out. Like, do you remember the old commercial from Chi Chi's where the guy would come in with the trench coat and the and the the, the tubes in his arms to like to suck up all the salsa from Chi Chi's? Do you remember that? I think so. Uh, like, my partner Ryan on uh, my partner Ryan on the Siren Slasher, he worked at Chi Chi's during our college career. So uh, there were many a times where he would bring home like, do you remember the the old um, oh 
God, it was like a it was a, a dessert. It was like a cornbread something. Oh, okay, yeah. He yeah. would bring like trays of that home and like and a, and a, a trench coat full of salsa. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, for poor college kids, it was perfect. Yeah. It was like, what do we got? We got a you know fifteen pounds. Of... We got a Mexican fried ice cream coming out here. <laughs> yeah, and we got enough flan to kill you. Like, no, 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 you don't have enough flan to kill me. I've not met the flan that's killed me yet. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I do remember that commercial now that you say that. Yeah, so it was just like the people like, "Are you okay?" And he's like, "No," <laughs> just sucking up the salsa, and then like you'd hear the boop as they're touching his jacket and he's just leaving. Like also, like you have enough money to buy a jacket that could suck up salsa, but not enough money to buy Chi Chi's like entree where they give you like salsa and chips. I question the whole logic of that. I wonder why that company's around. No, the restaurant chain's no longer around. I wonder but why. But their salsa survives. It's still it's true. Sure. Yeah. Uh, well. To be fair, though, I think the uh, the whole uh, wasn't there an issue with uh, um, I was going to say Ebola, but I don't think it's Ebola. <laughs> um, um, there was a um, the fleshing um, bacteria broke out at Chi Chi's. No, it was like uh, <laughs> diphtheria. I don't remember what happened. There was, was something, something bad with yeah. I believe either tomatoes like E. coli they were using, or something. Yeah, E. coli. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ebola. Yeah, pretty sure that Chi Chi's was like, "Do you want? Uh, do you want the chimichanga and the black plague?" And they're like, I don't know. I don't want the black plague. And they're like, no, it comes complimentary. I'm good. No, no, no. We're bringing it out for you. Are you done with this? And they just take the chimichanga away, but leave the black plague for you. This is why I do not do well in trivia contests. <laughs> you know, like I confuse the <laughs> Ebola and E. coli. Sure. Which is why I'm also not a licensed doctor. <laughs> All right. and, and work at a Chi-Chi's because there's not no, none of those around anymore. Yeah. So anyway, that was my weekend was uh, having food taken away from me and then seeing Joel McHale, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah, and watching Good Omens. So, okay. Yeah, that was my weekend. Um, yeah, I mean, my weekend was pretty low-key. Um, we uh, we went to Jamie's Flea Market. Have you ever been to the Jamie's Flea Market? No. Uh, it's in Amherst, Ohio. Uh, it's essentially what it sounds like. You pay, I think it's only 15 bucks to rent a table, but it's just like a big empty lot where there's, and I should rephrase that, there's a, a store portion to it where there's people inside who are set up all year round. Um, but like the back lot of it is just full of people who set up tables to sell their crap. Um, so <laughs> I think I say crafts, but you didn't say that. <laughs> no, no. Um, I mean everything from like vegetables to like socks to old VHS tapes. The Siren um, Slasher. The Siren Slasher. No, I did not sell uh, my wares there. But I did mention to, to Kathy, I'm like, you know, when I retire, like maybe I'll just get one of these like permanent tables at the flea market and that'll be like my thing that i do every weekend uh but uh i we we bought a few things i got a a gigantic pepsi glass like a a glass pepsi glass it's hard to describe um but it was like a quarter and it's like i don't know a 32 ounce glass or whatever but um, you can hold a lot of coke in that. I, yes, that's true. The powder, not the liquid. <laughs> you can actually hold a, a lot of both, actually. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, we got uh, everything from uh, some DVDs to uh, I picked up some old VHSs uh, because I'm trying to decide a way to do a art project with old VHS cases. Okay. So, like... It wasn't so much the titles that were contained inside as it was the um, quality of the cases. Because we bought, uh, oh God, I bought. I saw that your wife posted like, "Oh, look what Steve bought." Yeah, it was like uh, one was like, like Lord of the Dance. It was like Steel Magnolias or something. I don't know yeah. something in there. But uh, um, yeah. so yeah, so we bought we bought that kind of stuff uh, this weekend, and uh, we also just 
stayed in. Uh, well, that's not true. I, I filled our grill, our, our propane tank for the grill, so it kind of grilled out all weekend long. So Hank, Hill, Hank Hill would approve of the propane. Yeah, I'm a propane guy. I, I, I don't have a charcoal grill. So, <laughs> yeah. I was going to go into a whole thing about charcoal versus propane, but I'm going to leave it alone. So. <laughs> I don't have a side in that, but I, it was a wedding gift. So like, no, I think I'm, propane's yeah. just a cleaner and more even burning uh, thing. And it's right? just so, easier to use. Yeah, you don't have to go and shovel propane out of your grill after you're right. done. So. I just, I just, I'm upset that you didn't invite me over for anything grilled over at your place during the weekend because that sounds amazing. I don't know. Like, well, I, I will throw out the invitation. Anytime you want to come over, just let me know. I'll tell my wife she'll be out. You're knocking at your door, like, <laughs> like, like a whole like stack of ribs, and be like, "Oh, I need to grill all these right now." Um, yeah. So, all right, that was our weekends. It was a, a, some grilling, some uh, flea marketing, and some tacos being taken away. So let's just let's just get to the news. Good news, everyone. So, um, when we talked about the beginning of the show, Steve gets a chance to talk about some more Batman. Uh, and I need to bring the story up because I didn't have it up here, but I'm sure you can kind of lead off with what's going on. Yeah, I mean, the, the long and the short of it is is that uh, Phantasm from Batman Mask of the Phantasm is finally making their debut in uh, the DC Comics uh, proper universe, if you will. Um, I know that you haven't seen Mask of the Phantasm. Um, spoilers, it's a woman. Um, well, considering that the, the comic cover says she awaits you, <laughs> uh, I'm like, oh, what, I mean, what, what do they mean by that? They put the yes in the wrong word for he's awaiting you. It's, it's part of the mystery of the film in the sense that uh, an old flame of Bruce Wayne's and uh, the Phantasm both appear in Gotham at the same time, but um, not to ruin a, a movie from 26 years ago. Uh, <laughs> I have not watched it. I need to. And I, I have no good reason why I've not watched it other than, oh, I could maybe just watch something else. And I just, I always watch something else. Not because I don't want to watch this, just. Yeah, speaking of shared accounts, it is in my voodoo. You can watch it at any time that you <laughs> I want. I know. I know it's there. And, uh, yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, it's interesting that it's taken this long uh, for Phantasm to make her way into uh, the DC universe. It, it's also interesting that they really didn't use the Phantasm that much over the course of the other series that they did. Phantasm does appear in a flashback scene for one episode of Justice League Unlimited. But they really don't touch upon the character again. Um, and that was actually one of the last episodes of that series, at least before they got renewed, and I think they had like another 13 episodes. But long and the short of it is is that she's making her appearance in proper DCU, which I'm, I'm really kind of surprised that it's taken this long. Because mm -hmm. when you think about the characters from the Batman animated series that have come from that series that have sort of really taken off. It's Harlequin and... Clayface, right? Was Clayface from that? Or, no, well, I mean, Clayface was an existing character. Okay, beforehand. I felt... Okay. Yeah. Um, Harley Quinn and, um, and Phantasm were both created specifically for the series. Um, and I'm just... It... I, and I feel like it took a while for Harley Quinn to actually get a series before... Or making a proper debut in the DC universe before um, 
Well, didn't Paul Denny actually write some of the stuff? Like, like there was like kind of like the offshoot stuff that wasn't part of the main continuity. Didn't he write comics with Harley Quinn before she actually showed up in the comics themselves as well? Because I know Paul Denny created or co-created Harley Quinn for the animated series. Yeah, I mean, she showed up in DC's animated books based off of those properties, mm. but in the like whatever DC is now calling their post 50 new 52 slash new deal new whatever <laughs> new deal um, yeah. <laughs> you know uh their current continuity um i i don't think like i i feel like harley quinn did not make an appearance until the late 90s mm-hmm. in actual dc proper um and then you know it's it's like i said it's been 25 years 26 years since they introduced uh, the phantasm, and it's interesting that she's finally getting her actual entrance into the DC universe. Yeah, and I guess there's still some debate about who's actually the phantasm in the comic. But I, you know, so this IGN article that I'm looking up has like a four, like three or four different possibilities. Okay, uh, I don't know, but I just will mention that this is being written by Tom King uh, with his the Batman books, which I just lent Steve the uh, limited series of Mr. Miracle that was a 12-issue series put out by DC that he wrote. And I guess he won an Eisner for the writing of this with the artist. I think that's how it's like labeled. Um, or maybe he got an Eisner for else other books, but I feel like it's for Mr. Miracle. I'm, yeah, I, I don't I'm, know that you put like Eisner Award winner on the cover if it's something that they d- didn't win. Win from, yeah, yeah, right? Uh, and I just read that recently, and it was one of those books that's been on my radar for a bit because, like, every time I'd stumble across something about Mr. Miracle, everyone's like, "You got to read this book!" Like mm-hmm. all the like the the media about it. So I ended up picking up the trade, and it's a it's it's a it's a trippy like journey because it deals with like the new gods and all this, mm-hmm. but it's funny and heartfelt and family based. So I am now excited to read more Tom King, which. I feel like he's like an established writer in the business. I've just not read any of his work. So with him writing Batman, I'm interested. Okay. Yeah. And I, I'll say that, you know, for me personally, when it comes to the mask of the phantasm, because I feel like uh, before you chimed in with the Mr. Miracle story, um, <laughs> and I, I boshed the whole thing. Well, no, I, I said the same thing like three times about <laughs> the character making a proper DC, DC debut. But like for me personally, when it comes to Mask of the Phantasm, the thing that I always latch onto and why it's one of my favorite stories is that the emotional hook for that story is there's a wonderful scene, and I think I've mentioned it on the show before, where Batman is at his parents' gravesite, and it's it's not the brooding Batman, it's not the um, Batman who is like I will avenge you, it's the uh, <laughs> It, it, for some his reason, his parents died. Yes, <laughs> for some reason he turned into Khan from Wrath of Khan. Yeah. There, um, but uh, Joker. <laughs> um, where he's actually happy, uh, he's he's met this girl, he's fallen in love, um, and he's just begging for like, I need it to be okay for me to be happy. And it's a very pivotal, pointing, poignant scene for me, at least as a Batman fan. In an animated film. In an, in, in, in an yeah. animated film. Um, so when you say that it might be someone other than Andrea Beaumont, who is the character from the film who becomes Phantasm, mm-hmm. I got to admit that makes me interested a little less. Well, I, it's just IGN. Like, yeah. Uh, they, and I understand. They, they'll, they're they'll, speculating. Like, so, since it's not 
confirmed who it is. That it's just confirmed that the character of the Phantasm is coming back. Mm-hmm. Everybody's going to speculate, right? Like this. This is also the same site that I go to daily. But they're like, um, when like Endgame's coming out, they're like, oh, so and so's elbow was in this. What does this mean? Like they would just like, <laughs> like, oh, what's this mean for the greater MCU that Hawkeye has a smile on his face? Like, w- calm down. You know, Hawkeye's new haircut and why it ruins the entire Marvel universe. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a secret sixth Infinity Stone? Like, <laughs> I think we should start a site that's just nothing. Sorry, seventh Infinity Stone. Up. I'm looking at oh. my gaunt- I'm looking at my gauntlet right now that I have, and there's si- there's six on it. So to be fair, people, I didn't catch it either. Yeah. So, um. The seventh Infinity Stone is the inability to do math. That's and I and I am the only one that can wield it properly. So. No, I, I I do think we should just start a site that's just nothing but false rumors about movies. <laughs> An onion version of like a bleeding. I'm sure that's already or, out there, but I feel like if we would just kind of just take wisps of things and speculate, th- that's clickbait. Like I I not not to get on this whole thing, but it's always just like oh the newest teaser trailer comes out, we examine it. It's like it's a teaser. Let let it go. Like. Uh, I don't know if you saw that the uh, Rob Zombie put out the new teaser from the Three from Hell. Uh, I'm not sure who that is or what that movie is. Yeah, right? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That's me. I don't know what it is. But I I watched the teaser Mm -hmm. because someone commented, they're like, there's like five seconds to do footage. The rest of this is all images from The Devil's Rejects. And and it really is. And it's like, that's not a teaser. I mean, I guess in the sense of just like, here's a picture or two of what's coming. So it is a tease. It's a teaser in the sense that it's saying like, hey, here are two movies that you really liked. Here's another one. (laughs) Yeah, uh, that's, so I could see how like people would be upset about that because it's like they they trumpeted like here's the the teaser. Yeah, but then I feel like there's that, and then like um I don't know like this always goes back to uh, Cloverfield um when people were taking those trailers and breaking them down like frame by frame yeah. and being like well what could this mean it's like just you're thinking way too hard about this how about we how about we it's fun to speculate because that's what makes us fans but. If you got to sit here and do a 25 minute video about a shadow that is shown in a two and a half minute trailer, calm down. So, two things. One is. I'm wrong because of Star Wars trailers. No, no. I, I mean, <laughs> honestly, that's all YouTube is. At least that's all that gets recommended to me half the time on YouTube. Like, Why are you watching them? You're watching a couple for the algorithm to give them to you, right? Well, okay. So, I have watched <laughs> Mr. Sunday movies, does a thing where he'll, like, oh, these are things that I noticed in the, 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 the trailers or whatever. And I've watched a couple of his. Um, but, like, it feels like that's all YouTube is most of the time is. You know, speculation about when the movies are, and sure, you're right. That is fun. Speculation and that's reaction. That's what we do a lot well, of time. Yeah. Okay, but that's fair. Okay, so that's a fair criticism. I feel like this is a little bit different log form in the sense that there's a conversation as opposed to someone stopping frame by frame. And you guys, I'm sure you guys could be like, well, but Paul, back in episode 57, you did that. I'd be like, I don't remember, but whatever. If anybody um, is listening is knows our show that well, better than we do, um, hand, hats off to you. Yeah. I was going to say hands off to you, but you shouldn't <laughs> hand, really. Hands off. <laughs> <laughs> back away. Step away from the podcast. Love us at a distance, not that intimately. <laughs> no. Uh, I, so, I mean, it's fun to speculate, but it, so, this, so in regards to the mask of the phantasm and the phantasm being in the series... Of course, the, since it's not been confirmed, it, it's an easy article to write of like, here's five other possibilities because this person, whoever wrote this, knows the DCU enough, sorry, DC universe, not film, whatever, enough to be like, here's some other things to consider 
So good on them to at least maybe be that spark to get people to check out other stuff. Sure. But I just I don't put much weight into it because it's like I'm sure that if you waited this long, it'd be weird if it was a swerve. Yeah, and who knows? I, I try not to be judgmental, like right off the gap. Uh, right off the gap? Right off That's the... That's how British people say it. <laughs> right right off, the, off the gap. Right off the top when it comes to, you know, news stories and, and news stories within uh, particularly comics that I love or at least characters that I love. Um so I, I try not to hold that against it. It's just when you mentioned that, I was like, oh, it, it it felt lesser when you said that there was a possibility of it being someone else. So I'll, I'll give um, I'll give credit to um, J. Michael Straczynski. Uh, this is not the person. It's not Tom King who wrote Batman. But whenever he was doing his run on Amazing Spider-Man, there was a whole uh, arc he did involving the Grey Goblin um, where – it was this whole like so Straczynski and this is sorry we're going really off topic. Welcome to the show. Uh, he did an arc where uh, Peter was dealing with kind of the fallout with the potential of Gwen Stacy. There was a whole thing before she died with the whole showdown with the Green Goblin on the bridge, right? Where she went away to Europe for a little bit, and it's actually referenced at the time in yeah. the comics. She made sweet, sweet love with the Green Goblin. Yeah, right. So there, the whole thing was you find out like because Straczynski was able to kind of sew in the story with like because there's this gap in the, the the continuity where she was with Norman Osborn for like a hot minute. But because he's affected by the goblin gas, she got pregnant and she gave birth to twins, a boy and a girl, real quickly because they develop super fast because of goblin things. But also because they develop fast. Well, because like the gas and everything. Who knows, I'm right? I'm sorry. It's goblin things, right? Your age is accelerated due to goblinitis. Goblin I'm sorry. I'm sorry I have a case of goblin things. <laughs> uh, you know, um, so they the, the the boy and the girl both actually grew at an accelerated rate. Yeah. But Norman kept them over in Europe and fed all these lies in their head that that Spider Man was responsible for all this stuff, right? So <laughs> why would they leave Europe? They get free healthcare. I, I mean, right? This uh, is pre Brexit. So. Yeah, this is yeah. <laughs> so this whole thing became like Peter Parker dealing with like the 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 sins of his past in the sense of like the you know because Gwen's gone and whatever, but. It was kind of a cool, like, not retcon because it added into the whole thing, but it was him dealing with the Grey Goblin, and also there was two of them. It was a guy and a girl, right? Yeah. So, But it was like these were the children of Gwen Stacy that weren't his, but him being aware of that they are being misled. I don't know. It was a cool little side story. So if you can bring in, like, something, like, and I'm sure just based upon the 12 issues I read of Mr. Miracle by written by Tom King, he he's not afraid to break the rules, mm -hmm. but... I feel like it would be a disservice to be like, here's a character that's never been brought into canon. We're going to make it somebody different. So I will say, personally for myself, there's I'm of two minds of the subject uh, when it comes to um, not even canon, but th the ability to work something into a previous continuity. Um, like there's a part of me that's like, hey, you know. These characters are malleable, and you can do what you want with them. But there's also a part of me that say says, uh, you know, kind of leave the past alone and work forward. Um, uh, but too much comic book characters, can break. yeah, like it can it can make you end up not liking what came before, and that was never the intent. But comic characters also are always they're always stuck in second act. Like they're never going to get beyond the current age that they're in or if they do it's an elseworld story or it's a, um, like a what shot. if yeah, yeah. yeah um and 
when it comes to because there's a similar case with Batman where in my head as you were talking I was thinking um, and I don't know I don't believe they ever did the story but there's a period between the time that Batman's back is broken and he's healed and he returns to Gotham beats Azrael for the mantle of the bat and then he goes off again and, and Dick Grayson becomes Batman for a little while there's really no like to my knowledge and and it may have been published and I'm unaware of it but they never really did anything with that time period um and there's probably those like oh that would be interesting to do at the same time a few years ago when Snyder and Capullo introduced the Court of Owls which is this complete underground um what's what I'm looking for cabal of hit, like hundreds of years of history of this underground society that has been controlling Gotham. And then suddenly it's like the world's greatest detective never discovered it. Or <laughs> I'm like, ah, that's going a little far back in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So it, it can be tricky when you're trying to introduce particularly uh, backstory to a character like, oh, well, here's something that you didn't know about a character who's been around 80 years. Yeah, it's a tough thing Straczynski to... did that, too, with the whole alignment of Spider-Man with the spider totem, which we talked a little bit about that on yeah. our episode on Talk Without Rhythm with Into the Spider-Verse. I feel like that was complimentary, but it didn't take away. But I feel like you keep going back, and it can cause problems, right? So It's it, not even so much can- canonical problems. It's It's more the fact that it's like... Oh, can we stop going backwards and go forward? No, I agree. Yeah. I, that's my always my big thing is like tell me new stories. I don't need old stories. Like, but again, of, I'm getting excited about a character from 25 years ago making an appearance. But so. they're they're going to tell a new story, hopefully. Right. So anyway, yeah, we'll see where this goes. I can argue with myself all night long. I'll just I'll stand back and watch. No, uh, <laughs> so we'll see where this goes. I I just this this year 2019. Mark my words, and you can hold me accountable for this. I will watch Mask of the Phantasm. Not because I don't want to. I just I will get to it. I watched you. You know what I watched last night? I wa- you don't know this. Uh, I watched. I do not. You do not. I watched the Clint Eastwood film from 1985, Pale Rider, is what okay. I watched. It was his only western he did in the 80s. Between that, the next film, he, next western he did was Unforgiven. Yeah, and that was his last western. Um, not great. It was okay, right? But I chose that. Versus anything else I could have watched. Versus like I could have watched Mass of the Fast Heads last <laughs> night. Nope, I want to watch Clint Eastwood in in the eighties, which he still looked grizzled and great. And there's some fun moments in that film. But there's a weird Western subplot of like girls that are fourteen going on fifteen that want to marry people. And I'm like, I'm good. See, I don't I, need. I don't all that. remember that being that I'm not a Western guy. Oddly enough, Pell Rider is one of the movies that I saw in the eighties that I have memories of. That You've I'm seen like, that. Yeah, You've and, never, you don't see westerns. No, I know. <laughs> But when you brought up that whole subplot, I completely, I do not remember that at all. So I may need to revisit there's, it. At no, some there's a whole point. bit where he's like, so he's supposed to play this preacher. So he's wearing like the the collar and yeah. stuff. He's talking to this girl where she's like, oh well, my mom was 15 when she got married. I'll be 15 six months. Can you teach me the ways of love? And credit to the film, one they shouldn't have done it. So I guess minus credit. But since he was like a man of the Lord, he was just like you know he sidestepped it. So good. It wasn't like yeah. a weird moment of Clint Eastwood, like you know being like you know what. It's the olden days. It's okay to go after a 14-year-old. I'm 67 years old. You're 14. What's the problem? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I watched that instead of watching Mask of the Phantasm. So, yeah, there Well, I mean, look, you can't really... Like, there are tons of things that I need to watch still that I will pick 
the worst choice where I'm like, oh, I could, I could watch this acclaimed film. We were just talking about the fact that like Roma came out last year, and after the awards buzz down and down, I've kind of completely forgotten about that movie, still haven't watched it. Yeah. But I'll watch Cheerleader Camp, you know, which is a <laughs> horror movie from like 87 that's only available on We're, YouTube funny now. Funny that like, I, almost look, I almost looked up that movie to talk about the camp there, but I did not for our game later. So anyway, uh, yeah, let's just, uh, so Phantasm's coming. Uh, run away from the the shiny metal ball. That's not the same phantasm. Uh, so, all right. Oh next my couple, god! Yeah. If they got Don Coscarelli to do some sort of Batman phantasm slash mask of the phantasm crossover, I'm totally in. Yeah, it's just the, but the mask of the phantasm is just this shiny ball with like barb sticking out of it. So, if the tall man shows up in Batman, I'd be totally down for it. <laughs> yes. So, next story, real quick here. Uh, before we get to my secret story that Steve does not know about, so Steven Spielberg is reportedly writing a horror series for mobile focus streaming service. Quibbly, quick, quibby, quick bites. I guess is what they. It's Q U I B I. I don't know. Hey, hey Steven. Quick, yeah. Terrible name. <laughs> yeah, I realize it's not his company, but Quibby is not a good name. I, I just feel like there's a bit where eventually, they, when people are trying to buy domains, they're like, "Okay, what's five letters that don't make sense? <laughs> we'll take that." Because you think Hulu is a real word? Yeah. No. So look anyway. for my new streaming service, Fartsy. Yeah, yeah, or, or Tubi. Tubby, yeah, yeah, and, and or you know, fartsy, yeah, that's going to be the one. That's going to be the next one. It's, It'll uh, be all yeah. artsy fartsy movies. Yeah, it's going to be, um, and then there's going to be my splooge entertainment. That's not going to be porn at all. Uh, so you're going to anyway. disappoint a lot of people. Yeah, <laughs> they won't know until I get their money. Uh, so he's made. He has an idea for a, a, a series that's horror based, but the whole the whole thing is that he wants to um, do it where it can only be viewed. At nighttime, based upon the person that subbed into Hubie or Quibi, whatever, uh, Quick Bites, Hot Pocket, Pretzel Bites, I don't know, whatever this is called, that the region that you're watching it in, you would not be able to watch the show until it's actually nighttime. Okay. I kind of like that idea in the sense that um, Spielberg's trying to do something different with the format to be like, I have a scary story. It can only be watched at nighttime. I think that's kind of cool. I certainly get it from that aspect, yeah. but at the same time, the argument that I make is is that you can't control the environment in which people watch your film. So even if it's if somebody's watching it at one o'clock in the morning, but their entire house is lit up, you know, like a candle. I, I, like I don't you pick know. candle as opposed to like floodlight or like other <laughs> other types of light. If it's like a candle in the wind, yeah. Um, <laughs> If it's lit like a single birthday candle in a darkened room, that's still too bright. No, I mean, you've mentioned before that your wife, you like to watch movies in complete dark. Your wife does not. Yeah. and Even with the TV off, I just want sound sometimes. No, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I feel like the viewing experience for me, sometimes if I just want to focus up, I need a dark room mm -hmm. and my headphones on. I feel like that's the best way to lock in right now because we're so just blasted with other sources. Yeah, and but she, we have this fight. There's time. I've had a handful of times where we've been able to watch a movie in the dark. I think it's more because we're sitting on the couch and the sun goes down, and neither one of us are like feel like like. But we could talk to our light. We have a smart light. Yeah. Now, now it's different. But before it was like I don't want to get up and turn the light on. So I'd be like, ha ha ha! You fell into my trap of Earth's rotation. Yeah. <laughs> well, I will say yes. I think it's cool that he's he's doing this. I also think it's fact. It's cool that like. Spielberg, he walks this line throughout his entire career of like genre and then serious, you know, historical pieces. Whether he always has one foot in like pulp yeah. fun and then like award winning. 
Yeah. He always has he he's one of the few people that can exist in both worlds and put out quality for both. Right. Yeah. Um and I'm all for him, you know, trying his hand at this and you know, he's Steven Spielberg for God's sakes. Like he's already earned my trust in the sense that like if his name's attached to it, I'll at least give it a chance. Now, admittedly, I have not seen um yeah, uh, the 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 movie based on the book that you hate. Um, I have not Ready seen... Ready Player One? Yes. Uh, I was going to say, Schindler's List, I, I like that. I thought that was an appropriate story to tell. Uh, How dare you? And I have not seen, I believe, Lincoln. But, like, typically, if he's involved... Spoilers, it doesn't end well. <laughs> but if Spielberg's involved, I'm, I'm willing to give it a chance. And just the fact that he's kind of doing something cool with this and that they're trying to at least build some... Uh, atmosphere atmosphere yeah. for the for these pieces of because they're ten they're they're short films right they're not like yeah i, I guess they're supposed to be like it's like 10 because it's supposed to be more for a mobile platform again gotcha. which by the way i'd also argue you kind of sap some of the terror out of that but that's just me when you take it to a small screen you better come up with something really scary and unnerving um but whatever it's different it's him trying to explore like the boundaries of technology and the genres and like yeah. i'm okay like I would rather someone try and fail than not try anything. And if Spielberg has an idea that he feels is appropriate for this format, good on him. I like the idea that it's supposed to be time-locked. I think that's kind of cool because I feel like it, when a series isn't made bingeable day one, everyone's like, why do we have to wait a week for episodes? I feel like that's yeah. happening now. And out here, we'll be like, why do I got to wait till it's dark? It's like it's, he's trying to still force – like. A rule of you if you're going to be scared, here's how to do it. Right. right. So I appreciate that he has the idea in his head and how to execute it. Mm-hmm. And the technologies there that can generally conform to it because I have a feeling that the moment this comes out, if people want to pirate it, they're going to find ways to break it and you can watch any time of day. But I feel like there's a certain agreement between the viewer that wants to be entertained and the creators that they should accept it in the format they want to present it. I don't know that I got the sense that QB is going to be a paid-for site, right, though? It's going to be like know. a... You got Spielberg associated with it. You know there's going to be money involved. Yeah, but, I mean, there are a lot of sites. Like, for instance, you mentioned Tubi that's, you know, just advertised, you know... But if this is like a 15-minute video, like, how many ad breaks are you going to throw in there? I don't I don't know. Well, no, but you can you can do the typical, like, you know, minute ad before, the, before it starts or whatever. It's going to be an ad for, like, flashlights or, like... Uh, like flashlights? Watching, yeah. Or day, <laughs> flashlights or, like, daytime services. But yeah. Um, or you can, like, buy smart bulbs and put it in your house and watch the show with the light on. So, anyway, I thought that was interesting that this is something that's happening. Well, I'm sure we'll learn more about Spielberg's After Dark. Uh, batteries Which not that, included. That definitely sounds... <laughs> <laughs> Jurassic pork. I know that's a porno. I'm sure it's a porno, right? Um, yeah. All right. Yeah. Anyway, Schindler's banging list. That is a horrible joke, and I regret saying it. Not really. All right. Next I story. I'm appalled. <laughs> and you're appalled too. I'm appalled too. Next story. Steve doesn't know about this. And I, I'm, secret I'm, stories. I'm front selling this so badly, uh, but I found this today. Uh, Louisiana cops say, "Don't call us to complain about Taco Bell." So, all right. A Taco Bell without taco shells might seem well criminal, but it's not It's not something to call the police about. That's the announcement a police department in Louisiana issued this week in response to a citizen's call for help. A Taco Bell and Slidell ran out of hard and soft taco shells, and one irate customer reported the gross miscarriage of justice to the police. 
Um, so here's the police actual statement. This is the Slidell Police Department. It's been a while, but another we can't make this up stuff story. Somebody called in to complain that Taco Bell and Gaz Boulevard ran out of both hard and soft taco shells. While this is truly a travesty, so I appreciate that they're speaking to <laughs> the horribleness of the situation. The police can't do anything about this. Hopefully they are replenished in time for Taco Tuesday, is what they said. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh- why would you call the cops about that? I've heard other stories where everyone's like, there's no chicken nuggets. I got to yeah. call the police. I I honestly feel like this is more of a problem than we've been led to believe. <laughs> um, like You mean like there's more, more Taco Bells running out of like tacos? No, I meant that there's more people calling the cops over <laughs> oh, something I took that stupid the, uh, uh, at, a, <laughs> at a fast food restaurant. Um like I feel like there's the unspoken horrors of Taco Bell running out of tacos. If you're not being like you know robbed at gunpoint at Taco Bell, I don't think you should be calling the police. If they're out of fire sauce, don't call the police. If they put meat on your meatless taco, don't call the police. If they're on a hard shells, don't call the police. Like I just if if Taco Bell uh, like ended up giving you like drugs to the drive-through window, call the police. Like, or they, maybe don't. Well, wait, yeah, wait. I mean, if you want them. But there, there, there was a story, this is a long time ago, where someone was working the drive-thru and people would order drugs to the drive-thru and they just yeah. hand it to them. And it's like, it takes me back to the joke of, I was some comedian talking about how he would sell uh, marijuana over the phone, but they wouldn't use the word marijuana. They'd use the word hockey sticks. <laughs> and so like his one friend, he was talking about it, wasn't so smart. And be like, He's like, yeah, I want to buy some hockey sticks. He's like, well, how many do you want? He's like, oh, about an ounce. <laughs> 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 but there was this whole code thing with the Taco Bell drive-thru. It was involving like Choco Tacos, but it was like code for like marijuana. But I'm like, but what if I just <laughs> want really a Choco Taco? To be fair, though, if they give you pot, you're probably going to really want that Choco Taco Yeah, it's going to be an so. ending cycle of like constantly Why wanting Choco Why is Choco my Choco Taco, Taco $20? So here's my question to you, Steve. What would happen at a fast food drive-thru that's not crime-related that would drive you to call the police? I mean, a car accident if it's at the no, drive-thru. No, I'm talking like if they messed up your order that bad or like they're I out mean, of an item. What, what item would piss you off enough to feel like you got to bring law enforcement in? Uh, feces or some other bodily fluid being in my food? Well, no, no, no. I mean, unless you ordered it like extra, that's fine. <laughs> but I'm just saying like if there was an item that was not available. I don't think I'm going to answer this question well because <laughs> I don't think there's... Like what? What is the thing that's gonna set me off that I'm gonna like, like lose my is, mind? Is there like the one item that like you know every so often you get that siren song of like I have to have this from a drive-through? <sighs> I don't know. I'm 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 pretty like laid back when it comes to my choices at the drive-through. I will say that uh, you know um, if I go to. I'm trying to think of where I have run out. Um, no, this is not something I would call the cops for, but I've been annoyed. Like, I'm one of those rare people. I like to have ice in my drink. I'm not the person <laughs> who's going to go to a restaurant and be like, no ice in my drink, yeah. because for whatever reason, I feel like I'm getting more value because of it. I like ice in my drink. So anytime that I go to a restaurant and there's not ice in my drink, I'm usually You're calling like, the cops. I'm not calling the cops, <laughs> but I am miffed. And you wouldn't like me when I'm miffed. No, um, you wouldn't. No, you you become an, you become the incredible upset guy. Yeah, like not the Hulk, but <laughs> the, you know. the incredible passive aggressive guy. Passive aggressive guy, where he's like, you know what? This is fine. <laughs> this is fine. You're getting a fifteen percent tip, not twenty. <laughs> you deserve that. Um, but yeah, I mean, outside of that, 
maybe chicken nuggets, but like, I mean, like if they're out, they're like, I want nuggets. Like, I'm sorry, sir, we don't have enough. Uh, we don't have enough uh, pressed chicken shapes for you tonight. I'm sorry. I will say what's annoying is when like you order a sauce. And then you get home and you look at the bag and you're like, "Where's my damn barbecue sauce?" Yes, no, I, I will give you that. Like, um, I just that that pisses me off whenever I specifically say things. I will uh, also, it, I don't know, like Taco Bell. I feel like as much as like you know, it it is fourth meal, and we should all observe that. I've had more situations of various Taco Bells where I've not gotten what I ordered, but when you realize that it's the same four things kind yeah. of mixed together, that you're like, "This isn't what I ordered," but close enough like it's just like you can't like oh great i didn't i didn't get a grilled stuffed burrito but i got this it's like all right i'm but sorry the, they didn't press this between two things to make it more cooked I'm i always s- think it's funny too because my wife loves the fire sauce so i'll always be able to like throw in some fire extra fire sauce and they'll be like okay let's throw 30 packets yeah and, of fire and a breath sauce mint. in yeah like they'll throw like a peppermint in there <laughs> like i feel like the biggest offender for sauce though is arby's like because I'm like, oh, they're like, well, what kind of sauce do you want? I'm like, horsey and Arby sauce. And then I'll get and look at my bag. I'm like, why is there just ketchup in my bag? <laughs> That's neither of the two things I asked for. And this big beef and roast beef and cheddar is not going to eat itself. You know, like, whatever. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I think probably sauces are probably the biggest things that yes. would upset me. I also, why do they give you three sauces per order of nuggets whenever it feels like you should get four? Like, yeah. like, why, why are they, they, they like, I'm, you've already, I'm, I've already been down the road of deep fried chicken goo. Can you please <laughs> give me four sweet and sour sauces, please? I don't know why that, that's a thing. Because if you do three, then it's like, then you try to dip everything. You're like, but there's just one left over. You know, you know what the, the weird thing too is, is that uh, I had mentioned earlier uh, when we were discussing our weekends, you know, that I, we went to the, the, the um, flea market and. Before we were getting ready to go, Kathy was going to take a shower, and I was already dressed. I was like, you know what I could go for? Some McDonald's breakfast. I'm like, do you want something from McDonald's? She's like, yeah. She's like, get me a hash brown and a parfait. I'm like, awesome. So I go there. A breakfast parfait. Yeah. <laughs> I. Uh, for, so for me, I don't know what it is. I just always have associated, ever since I've been a kid, like if I get McDonald's breakfast, I have to get the hot cakes and sausage. Okay. And... Uh, there's this weird mentality that I have about like if I get it and then I get my my uh, uh, syrup and then I'm like if I don't open that second thing of syrup I'm like I can save this for later in case <laughs> in a future time that I order hotcakes and syrup from McDonald's <laughs> so I've got an extra one me, please tell me there's just like a bunch of dead soldiers in your fridge of like this is going to listen listen listen. This is going to pay off later. There's like a 32-ounce <laughs> bottle of maple syrup that I'm like, I'm not wasting that on McDonald's pancakes, no. but I want their syrup. Yeah. My, my so. go-to, that's, this is the weakness for me, is that McDonald's breakfast, you got to get a uh, bacon, egg, and cheese muffin. I'm, I'm sorry, a big muffin, like, so yeah. you got the biscuit, right? Uh, and then get uh, some breakfast burritos with that, with mild picante, because I'm a wuss and I can't handle the hot stuff. Take the hash brown shove it in the middle of the biscuit so you got the egg the bacon and the hash brown and just coat it in mild sauce and squeeze that together eat it it is the greatest goddamn I've thing I've never tried there. that oh, I'm I will be very curious it's, to it's, it's it's just a frankenstein of things I don't know why I decided one day to ruin my like my body by doing that additionally so then that does leave I've been ruining my body for like 44 I, years yeah I mean it's so. I'm going to be buried in a piano case it's fine but uh, just though. No, 
that always leaves one breakfast burrito with like no sauce. So you have to tough through that. <laughs> but the greater good. So that's what, I, or you could divide the mild picante between the two burritos, but I feel like that's inhumane. I feel like, you know, you, you, why would you punish one you of gotta, them? You like, gotta choose. Yeah. So that's always my go to. So. I think the sadder thing, too, is that, like, I, I turned to Kat and I was like, should I save these little margarine or butter the packets? Butter, the butter pets. She's like, well, you know, you never know when we might run out of butter and, like, need to make macaroni and cheese and just <laughs> need just like a little bit. Seven packets of yeah. butter. <laughs> I'm like, all right, that's fair. I'll put it in with my my uh, syrup packet that I have. <laughs> oh, all right. So, all right, that that's going to do it uh, for news. Um, yeah, that's that's it. So let's just let's just get to uh, good omens. And now for our feature presentation. All right, so now on to our discussion about the Amazon Prime original series, limited series, Good Omens. Uh, it is six episodes, like we talked about before, hour long each, based upon the book Good Omens by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. Uh, and Steve, you were talking before we started recording again. By the way, guys, we took a break because you know we had so much fun talking about breakfast foods at fast food restaurants. So we had to take a break. And I had to give Steve a uh, egg McMuffin with bacon with a uh, hash brown jammed in with a mild <laughs> sauce, mild picante in there. Does sound really good now. Uh, yeah, it's so good. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things you eat and you're like, you know, like it's so much ridiculous bad stuff that you're like, I don't need to eat for like five hours. And it's not because it's like filling. It's just that your body can't process it for like five hours. Um, I, I have I've read the book that this, this series is based upon. I've read it a few times. You are not familiar at all. Like with the series going into it, no. Um, I have to admit, I'm actually, and this is a, a cardinal sin of a comic book reader. I haven't read very much Neil Gaiman. I've read a few issues here and there of Sandman, and it's on my list of like just you know buying omnibus of you know the collection of the the 75 issues that ran, or at least collect them digitally um, and take a deep dive. But I've only read. A handful of Sandman issues. Um, I believe I read the one that's the introduction to death. I may have read the first trade, um, but that was like years ago. Um, and then when it comes to his actual, you know, prose stuff, um, I haven't read any of it. Okay. Um, I have a friend, Shalene, who is a diehard um, Neil Gaiman fan. Um, I actually have a couple of friends who are diehard Neil Gaiman fans, and I have to admit I am fairly ignorant when it comes to most of the, his work. Uh, the thing that I, I cherish that he's done is a, a surprise, it's a Batman comic, um, a Secret Origins issue from, I think, like 89 or 1990 uh, that detailed the origins of the Riddler, Penguin, and I believe Two-Face, and... Um, it's got a wonderful cover by Brian Boland, and it's one of my favorite like Batman comics of all time. But beyond that, I don't have a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of uh, knowledge. I know who he is. I know what he's capable of. I know that he's a renowned writer, but I don't have a lot of firsthand knowledge of reading his work. And so before I get into my relationship with Neil Gaiman, like my personal, like we, we're best, best buds. No, um, <laughs> uh, so how familiar are we with Terry Pratchett? Not at all. Okay. Um, you didn't I, like his Batman run. He didn't. Do that. <laughs> I, I'm I'm slowly realizing as I've gotten older that I have not read nearly as much as I thought I had. Like I, I 
I'm always finding gaps in my film watching um, that I'm like, wow, I, I realize I've never watched this or I've never delved into that. When it comes to books, I'm like, wow, I really have not delved beyond a lot of the things that I already enjoy um, and have not really gone into it. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I feel like anymore, like, I'm... It's a constant struggle to fit things in. Oh, absolutely! Um, it's it's, it's so constantly trying to find. So I, I want to go back and yell at myself for being like, "Why didn't you read Good Omens when it came out <laughs> fifteen years ago, or whatever?" Or at least it came out in nineteen ninety, if I saw it right. Oh, was so, it nineteen? Wow. Yeah. Okay. So it's been what twenty nine years, right? So um, it's tough, right? Because it's one of those things where you're always trying to like fold in new things, but you also want to take time to enjoy the things that you know. Yeah. And that's been the struggle that I've had the past couple of years because I'm constantly trying to find new experiences talk about on the show and just in general because i feel like there was a lane i kind of existed in where it's like the things i loved you love them for we talked about this last week in terms of like you know um retro uh, invasion weekend where you love the things that you love you want to enjoy the things that you love but you didn't love them until you found them so right. there's there's a lot of this right so uh, my relationship with neil gaiman's works is a little bit more varied than yours uh, in the sense that i um I've read some of the Sandman, not a lot, because at the time it was presented to me, they didn't, the person I was talking to didn't have the complete set. So I was kind of coming in halfway through, and it was still uh, engrossing to me that I enjoyed what I read. And it was trippy and weird and different. And I remember at the time, we talked about last week, we talked about Vertigo shutting down. Yeah. Sandman was through Vertigo. That that Gaiman took the, the name Sandman, not from the mystery pulpy thing, and was like, I want to do something different with this. And now that the Sandman and, and, and sorry, Dream and Death and the rest of the, whatever you call them, they're kind of folded into the, the DC universe because um, they've kind of been showing up in some of the other books now. In the um, 90s, if you were somebody who read comics but didn't want to be associated with the person as somebody who read comics, you said you read graphic novels and that was always the thing and you that read people Sandman, went to. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so if you want to Well, be, I read Sandman. I don't read comics. Yeah, if you want to read, if you want to be in a coffee shop and work on your screenplay that no one's going to read, that that's the book you'd you'd talk about. So and then, so Gaiman, you mentioned. I just want to make sure that's not a slam against Neil Gaiman. It's just no, it's a slam that's against, the way it was yeah, in the nineties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, the spirit of the nineties is alive with people that read Neil Gaiman's comics. So, and then he also wrote. I just took a look over my shoulders to verify. There's the sixteen oh two, original sixteen oh two series for Marvel. And what's right. interesting about that, I have not read it, but that came out of. Didn't it come out of the deal with? Um, and this is inside baseball, but. Uh, he had written an issue of Spawn introducing Angela. There was a whole, I believe, issue with the rights to... Like a literal issue between the rights yeah, of, yeah. Uh, Angela, and part of that deal, I feel like Marvel... I feel like in a way they were like, hey, if you write this for us or write something for us, we will... I, 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 I feel like it was tied but, into... But Angela, the character, is now in the Marvel canon yeah and i feel like the thor thing right? i don't want to say that they paid his legal fees or whatever but i feel like there was some way that marvel kind of got their the pound of flesh from the whole thing yeah maybe i don't know but i'm gonna i'm gonna force you to take my uh, hardback copy of 1602 tonight i've already got mr Uh, miracle i know i know i know you'll get to it eventually it's fine uh but it's a really cool reimagining of like what if marvel and 1602 and like colonial america like it's it's really cool and neil gaiman like reinvents a lot of the heroes that you know like mm-hmm. so it's it's a fun read anyway uh so i i have read gaiman like some of the sandman 1602 i've read um i've read the books uh neverwhere which is a 
like a, it's a it's a delightful little book. Uh, American Gods before it became a series on uh, stars. Uh, it was a wonderful book. Also, he did a uh, oh, what was the one? Um, Stardust that was a film a couple years more than a couple years ago that had uh, Robert De Niro in it. That was a a um, like a storybook that he turned into like an actual novel. Like it was like a graphic. It wasn't a graphic novel, but it was illustrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was fun. I've read. Um, I've read. I've read Good Omens. Like and. I, the, so there, there is a he definitely gets weird and dark in a lot of fun ways, but he had there is some humor to be had. Terry Pratchett, who um, wrote a number of different Discworld books, which is his series. Um, I've only read one of his own books separate from Good Omens, but the guy is firmly when you talked about like he's firmly tongue in cheek, like Monty Python style humor, but he's able to make these amazing worlds, amazing characters, but always is ready for the joke in a wonderful way. So here, here's, uh, another geek confession that will get me beaten up at the next confession convention that I go to. Um, so I, me, I'll be there, try to sell his book and be like, Hey guys, you should buy a slasher. Just one second. And like, <laughs> so I have not read any Douglas Adams, but what I know of Douglas Adams, I felt like the things that I knew about it kind of translated well to Good Omens. That's fair. And I don't know that, if there's an overlap no, 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 there because or not. Du- you're right. I've read I've read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I haven't read the rest of Douglas Adams stuff, and I I haven't read that. And I, again, I lose no, my geek card but, for that. So, but you've seen some Monty Python Flying Circus. Like, sure. Have you watched? Like, this is a show that I'm not a big fan of, but some people really like it a great deal. Red Dwarf. Have you watched any of that? I, oddly enough, I have not. I've not watched any Red Dwarf. I need to. <laughs> I would say don't, but other people say yes. But yeah. but there's this weird kind of like corner of British humor where they can be outrageous and then kind of like knowingly wink to the audience and kind of make a comment and move on. That Douglas Adams and I feel like Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman to a degree exist in. Uh, and again, you guys can argue with me and tell me that maybe I'm off base. Your mileage may vary. That is my my limited view of that. So with Good Omens, which I don't even know how I came across the book. I just remember reading it and falling in love with it. And mm-hmm. it's one of the books that I've – there's only a handful of books I've read multiple times. That's one of them. And I was telling Steve last week before we started, like, this is a topic, that this is one of those books that anytime I end up loaning somebody a copy of it, I never get it back. And I feel like that's a compliment in the sense that I have to keep buying Good Omens to hand to somebody else. Mm-hmm. That So whoever it is loved it enough that I never saw it again. Maybe I don't have the best friends. I don't know. But at least the, book, <laughs> at least the book's been read and enjoyed. Um, so whenever Amazon announced that this, they were going to make this into a series, I got super excited. And I know uh, Terry Pratchett passed away a few years ago because uh, he was suffering from Alzheimer's and dementia. I was unaware. I did he, not know he, that. Well, but when he came out, told everybody, he called it the what was it the um, the great embuggering, the embuggerance. Like he had a, like a weird, funny term for it, and he said he would work as much as he could. Um, but this book was written so long ago that he wrote so much in between that. And like I said, I've I've read one Discworld book. I need to read more of them. But the goal for the longest time was for the both of them to make this into something in terms of like either a TV series or a film series. So. When I, I, yeah. I didn't read any Discworld, I only read Tech War. Tech War. Yeah, that's the same thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, for he, those of you paying attention and to I've home, only, that's I've only read um, Twilight and Fifty Shades of Grey. That feels like it's the same thing. Not really. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's probably elves doing it. I don't know. But uh, so 
um, when this was announced, like I was super excited, and for for Prime to do it and say it's a limited series, uh, I was also excited. So let's just talk about the cast for a second. So, well, one, I should say that um, th- all the episodes are directed by uh, Douglas Mackinnon, um, which I don't know who that is. We're going to look this up right now and watch. He'll direct like seven different things I like. Uh, but it's interesting that six episodes of the series, which is all it was, was directed by the same person, which you don't normally see in terms of like a series. You know, and I know that, again, I'm going to harp on something that you haven't watched, but the series spaced... All, I, yeah, all episodes yeah. of that were directed by Edgar Wright. Okay. And so I feel like at least when it comes to and I don't I can't say specifically this is British produced, but like they seem to have a better understanding of having, you know, as opposed to having a showrunner and different directors, they seem to have more of a like unified view of like this is a vision and this one director doing. is going That's to do fair. that. Yeah. Um, so this gentleman actually ended up directing eight different episodes of Doctor Who so I've actually seen all of them so I will say that uh, he did a uh, episode with um, oh the, the most recent grumpy doctor uh, Peter Capaldi episode called Listen that was just wonderful and he ended up doing one of the Christmas episodes called The Husband's River Song. Steve doesn't know what that means but I enjoyed it a great deal. So this guy comes from a pedigree that I like Stuff that he's done before. So, with that being said, Neil Gaiman actually wrote uh, the screenplay mm-hmm. by himself, like because no one, like his the whole thing. He holds the series near and dear, and with Terry being gone, he's like, I'm the only one that can do this. So it's good that it didn't get shopped out to other people. And Gaiman's written screenplays for other things before. Yeah, I mean, I'll just say that like kudos to him. Um, because honestly, and obviously Neil Gaiman's in much more of a position where he can make that kind of, you know, throw down that gauntlet of like, great, this is my property, but you can't have somebody else write it unless it's me. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I I know that there have been other occasions where comic book adaptations or just adaptations in general have been like, we'll give you the first draft and then we can do with it what we want. And I know he's kind of involved with American gods. I don't know what capacity. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but it's one of those things where it's like, why wouldn't you let this person who created this adapt this product? You know? Well, even, even up until the last two seasons of game of Thrones, George R. R. Martin wrote a couple screenplays for like one each season. Right. So, yeah, like I, I agree with that. But that's also the point where like he trusted Benioff and Weiss. It wasn't like a deal where HBO came in and was like, you're going to nope, do this. Nope, just took yeah. it from him. Yeah, so that's fair. So, all right, so we'll get into the cast here a little bit, and then we'll talk about like the, the whole thing improper. And, you know, I'm just going to throw this out here. If you guys have not watched Good Omens on Prime... Do you know why they are called spoilers? ...or have read the book, I'll say, I'll say this much... Maybe you should just watch it on your own because I feel like we're going to spoil some of this. So there are some there is some fun to be had in the limited series. So I don't want to ruin some of the bits and some of the jokes, mm-hmm. you know. So I'll say that. So all right, we have David Tennant, uh, who was also a, a Doctor Who person. Uh, he was um, the tenth Doctor. People are going to yell at me. Um, he, which is funny because the director of the series didn't actually direct David Tennant. In any of those episodes. That's odd. Yeah, it's odd. I didn't know that. Uh, so, you know, so he was also the Purple Man and Jessica Jones. Uh, Which is funny uh, because, yeah. like, uh, my wife was talking about, because uh, she was looking at the IMDb as we were watching, and she's like, oh, he, he was Kilgrave in, in Jessica Jones. I'm like, you mean the Purple Man? Yeah. She's like, no, 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 no he was no, Kilgrave. No. I'm like, the Purple Man? He was the Purple Man. <laughs> he was the Purple Man. <laughs> he was a monster in that. And with this, he plays the demon, which actually is more likable than the Purple Man. So... 
Uh, but I loved him as the doctor. It's it's my it's it's my wife's favorite doctor. So Tennant, I like that Tennant is still able to be all those things and still do something different. So I would also argue that this is just him being a doctor, but kind of angry and <laughs> kind of an asshole most of the time. Yeah, not knowing anything about Doctor Who, I. I'm actually kind of glad that I am not bringing that baggage to his performance because all I, the only thing I really had for a basis was his performance in Jessica Jones and he was amazing in that. So. Well, with this, there's all these different snapshots of different time frames. I'm like, hey, yeah. he's a doctor. And then literally there's the bit with the kids like talking about like getting rid of the world and the one kid was like, no, I'd be all like exterminate, exterminate, which is referencing a Dalek from Doctor Who, which I thought was funny. Oh. Like, I know you didn't know that, but I just uh, thought that was funny that they made a nod to towards Doctor Who. We have Michael Sheehan as uh, as Afriel. And I got to say he he looks amazing for being like what 76. He was <laughs> he was the president on uh The West Wing. He was in the Spawn movie. Yeah, yeah that's uh, um no, that's um not Michael Sheehan. That's uh oh shoot. That's uh Oh, am I thinking of Martin, Martin Sheen? Martin Sheen. Why did I fail on that? Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm giving myself one of these. Yeah, it's not Martin Sheen's Michael Sheen. He's now very much British. Uh, he was in. Uh, he had a brief turn in Thirty Rock, which was great. He was uh, also a very big part, apparently, of the Twilight films. Which my yeah, wife no, he was one of the older vampires, I, I guess. Uh, he was also in Tron Legacy uh, as the 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 leader, of the, the guy who ran the End of Line Club. If you remember him, he was the one with the cane. Yeah, that, here's here's another thing. You've that, not seen that, Tron Legacy. I've not seen Tron Legacy, oh, nor so have I made it all the way through the original Tron. Tron Legacy is not. If you, I was listening to that soundtrack today on the way to work because I'm that guy. Uh, also mixed with, I was also listening to Edio Mokrone's uh, "The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly." It was a weird day. Um, Michael Sheen is so great. The brief bit he is in Tron Legacy, but you, just that movie, the story isn't the greatest, but the looks and the soundtrack. Steve, I know we record once a week. When can I sit down and just like talk, watch Tron Legacy with you? I mean, maybe we can plan that for the end of the year or somewhere yeah. in between, like when we're like looking for ideas. Because I feel like do. we're friends, but we don't hang out outside of recording that often. So we need. It to is true. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're only friends on Wednesday nights from That's eight it. to eleven. Otherwise, we make no eye contact. It's <laughs> terrible. Uh, so we'll get like there's some other people, but we'll get into uh, Francis McDormand as the voice of God, John Hamm as Gabriel. Uh, Michael McKeon, who I think elevates a lot of what he's in a Shadwell. I, I honestly, I did not know he was in the series, and when he popped up, I just had a big smile on my face. Michael McKeon, I don't know that he gets enough credit because, like, no. if you throw him in anything, he's always good. I've never walked away from something being like, oh, Michael McKeon really phoned that one in. He's always in the, good. In fact, he's putting on like a very British accent. Yeah, but then like he was in Spinal Tap, right? So yeah. like, he, you know, he's capable of doing. This thing, but when I saw him as uh, as Shadwell, which he's the the, the head witchfinder, whatever in this, it made me happy because that character's kind of like this bum and like this kind of useless bum in the books, and I, I just had this weird image in my head of like <laughs> someone like I could almost imagine like a James Cromwell playing him as like a piece of shit, yeah, right. But you got Michael McKeon like an American playing this, and I liked his his portrayal in this series. I also thought he was going to be a very minor character, but was surprised to find out that he was not. So well, he has the finger that can annihilate <laughs> everything, right? Um, and then another person worth worth mentioning is uh, as I burp. I'm sorry. It's, we, we're drinking and talking about good omens. Paul's like literally hours away from going on vacation. So I am on vacation. This is what's happening. Uh, we also have the um, oh, where is it at? Uh, 
Brian Cox is the voice of death. We'll talk more about the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse here in a second. So I feel that it's worthy of mentioning because it's Brian Cox and you got to have him in everything. It's William Stryker, for God's sake, you know? So, yeah. All right. Uh, so Good Omens is a limited series that involves the end of the world, but it's a comedy where in which the Antichrist was born, and there's two angels. We have Crowley, who's David Tennant, and Azafriel. Is it Azafriel? Azafriel. Azafriel. I've read this book multiple times, and every time I would like see the name, my brain would not say it right. Well, it's like Manolior or you know any yeah. other... Azafriel. Yeah. Um, Veria, like words that you see in print, but you until you hear them, you don't know how specifically. I can't pronounced. tell you how many times this week I was saying the name out loud, so I wouldn't screw it up. But then I screwed it up. Well, so. it's funny because I kept saying Azriel because yeah, it's 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 it, because you've heard that word yeah. out loud and you know that name, but Aziraphale, uh who is Michael Sheen, who is an angel, and so you get this thing that they've been around since the beginning of time and. They both been planted on Earth to kind of like with the the this different plans of God and Satan to eventually bring about Armageddon. But in the meantime, not only have they become frenemies, but truly friends, they've also kind of like like Earth and realized that like why does this have to happen? Why does this war have to happen? And so they kind of go about their their plans to try to avert like the apocalypse because they both question like do, do all parties involved actually know this is supposed to happen so what i what i really like and i'll temper this because it's an overall discussion of the series but uh clearly those are my two favorite characters uh well i shouldn't say clearly but for me those were two the the two characters that i gravitated towards the most you didn't like ollie as dog no i liked i liked (laughs) dog just fine yeah um but uh what I liked about the series is, is that it starts off with establishing those two characters right off the bat, and immediately it's a great scene. Um, so we're in the Garden of Eden. Crowley has tempted, whose name previously was Crowl, Crowley. Crowley. Crowley, Crowley with a, a, a Yeah, Because he's Crowley because he was a serpent. Yeah, yeah, which he later changes somewhere like a thousand years later yeah, to crawly like, because he's like yeah because i'm more like a human now i'm not a snake like yeah which is a funny little nod to be like nah, i changed the name because i'm no longer a serpent sorry serpent in the physical realm i've changed myself to a dude <laughs> with thriller eyes and a beautiful hair yeah but what i uh, what i enjoy about that scene is is that uh crowley has has tempted eve with the apple and then we see adam and eve leaving uh the garden of eden and uh Aziraphale is watching them leave, and he's just standing there, and Adam has this flaming sword, <laughs> which will come up later throughout the series. But uh, he's essentially trying to, like, ward off, I think, a tiger Who's or a, a lion. lion. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and Crowley shows up, and, and he says to Aziraphale, like, uh, you know, uh, what happened to your sword? <laughs> and and Zerfell's just sort of like, well, they're going to be out in the elements. And I just, I felt bad. I felt like they should really have something to protect them. And uh, it evolves into this discussion about the fact that, like, Crowley says, you know, why is knowledge such a bad thing? Like, why giving them the gift of knowledge? Why is that the thing that's deemed evil? Mm-hmm. And he's like, wouldn't it be funny if you shouldn't have given them the sword? You know, like, if you'd done the bad thing in reality, and I actually did the good thing by, by giving, giving them, them the knowledge. Yeah. Um, and I I was hooked at that point. It sets the like, tone for the whole rest of the discussion, right? Yeah. So, yeah, and, and, and I'll, I'll give credit to the, so I'll give credit to Neil Gaiman that there are, there are some bits in this that come back later that pay off 
in the series that don't really get referenced again in the book. Okay. The whole notion of Aziraphale like owning a sword, it doesn't really come back to pay off like it does in the series. Yeah, in the series. Okay. Like it's just noticed because it's like you make the joke and it's like, okay, great. Uh, and then the connection between that sword and being the sword that's wielded by war, that wasn't really, I mean, I've read this book a couple of times years ago, so I don't really believe that connection was there. Mm-hmm. It kind of works, right? Yeah. So I'll give Gaiman credit that he's able to bring some of these notes back, uh, and there's some there's some payoffs to that, because uh, especially later whenever Xerophel is being brought into God's army, it's like, I gave you a sword. He's like, yeah, about that. Like That was kind of <laughs> funny that even like five hours in, everyone's like, what happened to your sword? I thought that was a good time. Uh, so yeah, I, the the relationship between Crowley and Aziraphale is is the spine of this whole story, right? So uh, it's them. Like I will also give credit to Crowley slash David Tennant that he never once questions their friendship. Like it's just kind of a given, but that also feels very much aligned with the demon, where it's like it's always it's about familiarity and camaraderie, camaraderie than it is about like these hard lines drawn. Because I feel like if he can be like, no, no, we're good, we're good, that still is kind of throwing shade on this angelic presence. Well, I, I thought that was fascinating that like the one who's comfortable with their friendship is the demon, and the one who isn't is the angel. And there's well, actually a wonderful moment, and I don't want to jump too far ahead, but there's a moment, I think it's in the fifth episode, where they're two, the two of them are having a discussion, and... Uh, Crowley says to Xerophel, you know, uh, recounting events that have previously happened. He's like, and I lost my best friend. And Xerophel just sort of like, he's like, oh. And and then he goes beyond, he goes past it. Yeah. And it's this thing of like. Because well, Xerophel is supposed to be so prim and proper that he yeah. can't acknowledge, you know. and But I but, love yeah. the fact that, 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 you know, Crowley is sort of, you know, even though he's supposed to be the evil one, he's very open about his emotions and the things that he you know he's he's in a way you know he recognizes that he and Aziraphale are common spirits and he would much rather spend his time talking to him than doing anything else on earth yeah but i also feel like it's 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 more acceptable for demons to exist in the gray than it is for like the angelic presences sure. right so so especially when you get somebody like um like uh john ham uh, as uh, I was going to say Hammond, that's not his name, John Hamm as Gabriel, which he was only referenced vaguely in the books. He wasn't like a full-on character. I will say, so going for a little bit, um, there was talks of a sequel book called uh, 668 Neighbor of the Beast. Okay. That was supposed to be the title. And Gaiman was like, yeah, it never came together. So a lot of the elements from that ended up in the teleplay for this. So Gabriel was a bigger presence in that idea. And then also the ultimate resolution between uh, Crowley and Aziraphale and their respective, like, you know, heaven and hell, that that was not in the book. Okay. Which I do like that payoff for that. So, but yeah, their, their relationship's great. Michael Sheen is so good at playing this character of like, he's supposed to be holy, which he is, but he loves sushi. He loves books. He loves music. He loves crepes. He loves crepes. <laughs> like and him showing up during like the French revolution, yeah. just because he wants crepes. <laughs> that wasn't in the book. And it was just this wonderful, you're talked about in, the, in episode three, there's this whole thing where it kind of came, like it goes like a half hour for a limited series. It goes into their background a great deal of these two, like throughout time, like, Doctor Who style, Highlander style of them saving each other, or at least Crowley showing up all the time. Like there's the bit in World War II during the Blitz whenever Aziraphale believes he's helping 
like yeah. the right people and he turns out to be tricked by Nazis. I love when Crowley shows up in the church and he's like he's jumping on the floor that to the consecrated that, ground. That was one of my favorite book favorite things in the in the limited the, the TV series because he's like ha 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 it's like it's like running on hot sand it's like that was never implied that was never talked about in the books but it, it was wonderful to show that like he could exist in holy ground. Yeah. It hurts and he's doing this for his friend. Yeah. I like the whole thing because there's the whole sequence the entire time David Tennant is like leaning on like pews and like changing feet and like it was just it's just wonderful. I mean, cards on the table and we're going to have a much more of a discussion on this, but like had the series just been six episodes of those two characters having lunch, I'd have probably been okay with it um, because I like those characters that much. Yeah. And, and so like they're they're the better part of this. But I, so. All right. Before I get into my my thoughts and feelings about everything, we can talk about like different story beats or whatever. I, I but I don't know if that would necessarily serve serve our discussion because there is a lot of fun to be had in the series in terms of watching it. I would argue, and this is me being like hot take, hot take, Paul. Um, I have a lot of friends that have read the book and have enjoyed it a great deal that really like the series. Okay. Um, you not knowing the book. And watching this kind of six hours barreling through it, how did you feel ultimately about the series? Uh, I thought it was quite well done. I thought that the ideas were more interesting than some of what happens within the story. But for me personally, like I said, I I latched on so hard to Aziraphale and Crowley that those were the things that I kind of only cared about throughout the series. Everything else was just sort of to the side. Like I, I was Antichrist and them and Ananthema device. Yeah. And um, I was waiting yeah. for them just to come back into the story. And Pulsifier, like the, the descendant of the Witchfinders, like Yeah, you know. I mean it's all interesting. Don't get me wrong. I'm not like poo-pooing that, but like No, it just it's it, it feels I, like it, unfortunately I feel like in the, the limited series, a lot of this is treading water. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a bummer because there's some interesting tweaks they give to Ananthema. They actually make her American in the limited series versus the book. Okay. So the whole notion that they they invested in Apple early on and they they're set for life is kind of fun, um, and then kind of make her a fish out of water in like the small little like town was okay. They, they, those are all like good adjustments, and I didn't mean to step on what you're saying, but no, no. Um, I mean, I I think I've gone on record in previous discussions about other things uh, that like. I'm a sucker for character and good dialogue. So if you give me those things and they're really well done, I'll let other things slide. So when it comes to the series as a whole, like I kept waiting for those two to come back into the story because they were clearly where my attention were and what I wanted to focus and, on. And it's perfect casting. It's absolutely perfect casting. Like Tenet, like him, oh, even though they gave him like the snake eyes, the whole time through, which that's not in the book, but that's not that's not against it because they gave him like the coolest sunglasses in the world to wear. Mm-hmm. Um, they gave him like he, I'm sure there are a lot of this is him reading the work and kind of absorbing it and dealing with like how would Crowley carry himself. He has such a swagger and like this weird like just like straight like it's like leaning forward walk that he has that's really cool. Um, just like the, the the suits that he has and like just the way he carries himself. It's like. Crowley would be a good time. Yeah. And you get that, right? And well, I, I, yeah. And I, I stepping on what you were saying, but I, I also wanted to mention that uh, one of the things I thought was fascinating was is that they're both kind of, they're not fed up with their perspective or respective, um, 
you know, heaven and hell, their allegiances. But at the same time, they both refer to it as home office, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Like there's both a lot of just bureaucracy sort of, going on yeah. with the afterlife. Yeah. There's a lot of bureaucracy. And, you know, at one point they just kind of come to this conclusion where it's like, I'm supposed to be down here doing good. You're supposed to be down here doing bad. You know, let's just leave it to the humans and we'll just show up and be like, hey, World War Two. Yeah, that was all me. And then. <laughs> He's like, I left it to the humans. I didn't even have to do anything. Like, well, there was a bit when they were dealing with Shakespeare like at his Globe Theater. Yeah. And they both got assignments. One was to do something bad, and one was like, well, I guess you can figure out who's who. But they kind of flipped a coin about like, I, you can go north and do both, and then like you can stay here and deal with like Hamlet or whatever, <laughs> Macbeth. And it was kind of, that also reminded me of, uh, of uh, um, uh, Doctor Who, because I think there was an episode where they dealt with Shakespeare that was okay. tenant based. If not, it was the next guy um, off the top of my head. Matt Smith, that's who. So I was like, oh, this is not the first time Doctor Who has been in the Shakespeare theater. But I like that they're like, I'll flip you for it. So there was this, like Crowley was acknowledging this accord in their friendship, but like, but as Afriel was like, yeah, I mean, you know, I shouldn't, but. You know, I do like hanging out, eating food or whatever. Yeah. It was just kind of like, I, I just, <laughs> so it was the earthly delights that grounded him. All right. And then, and then Crowley just, he loved, he loved earth before. Like you didn't necessarily get it in the TV series, but he was always there to kind of be like, well, why is God doing this? There's a whole bit with like Noah's Ark. That was kind of funny where he's like, but but isn't he supposed to be like this great thing? He's like, yeah, but he's going to flood everybody. And then you have Crowley being like, you're losing a unicorn. Uh, yeah. and that, that was, that was a fun little bit. What I loved about that moment too is this, he's like, well, he's not drowning everyone. He's, he's, a, he's, he's not drowning the Asian or the, um, uh, the American Indians yeah. or, uh, the, the Chinese or like, he's just naming all the places that aren't going to be drowned. Yeah. And Crowley was like, so he's just, he's just drowning these people. He's like, pretty much. He's yeah. like, I gotta be honest, that sort of sounds like my guy and not yours. Yeah. And then the whole bit when they crucify Christ, he's like, why would they do this? Like, and that was played very somber. Like, there wasn't a joke. Like, Crowley was more sympathetic. And as, as Afriel was kind of like, well, this is this is supposed to be the plan. Yeah. yeah. I love the fact that he's like, why why are they doing this to him? He's like, he told people to be kind <laughs> to yeah. each other. And he's like, oh, well, that'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, so what did you think of? So you said that you like the the the, the relationship between Sheehan and, and Tenet, which I yeah. agree with that. Uh, even though it served the plot because it had to, what did you think about like Adam, who was the Antichrist, being raised by like a dad and a mom in like Britain? Which, by the way, in the book, again, I, I, I sh- I'm striving not to compare both because being a person who watched Game of Thrones but not read the books. And being someone who reads a bunch of comics, but not all of them, and also like I know you are, you're much more vested in, like in Star Wars. You've read a lot of like you know the ex- expanded like canon and all that. I get that there's a certain amount of separating yourself from the work printed and what's presented. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm struggling with this because I feel like there's just bits and details that I don't know why they're added or why they're taken away. So. Uh, the whole dad thing and like, you know, the, the name was it Tad Tadfield. Um, the dad was supposed to be a single father, like oh, raising okay. this kid. And I feel like that was a little different approach, but what they made it a mom and dad and this, and that, whatever, it's fine. But I don't know why they added that, but you have Adam who's the antichrist who is being raised by like this father and mother in like, like a suburb of like London. 
because of a mix-up on purpose, but not quite, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so how did you feel about Adam and like his uh, three friends? How did you feel about that bit of it? The them. So I, I found it was interesting. And what's funny is is that uh, while we were watching it, Kathy's like, oh, they're, they're working in Stranger Things. And I'm like... Well, this is written a lot long time before Stranger Things. So <laughs> yeah. that's I'm like that may have been the like, you know, idea for somebody at Amazon, but I'm like that's not really where they were going with this. Um I, I again, I felt it was it was part of the story. It was subsidiary to what I really cared about, which again was getting back to Aziraphale and Crowley. Like it it needed to be there to move the story along. And I I liked the fact that the Hellhound became like a terrier. Uh I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the idea of and again, I guess this is spoilers, but him taking his quote unquote real father to task at the end and that being sort of what unlocks it. And that's different from the book and that's that's not bad. And by the way, uh, uh Benedict Cumberbatch was the devil, by the way. I don't no, know, I didn't that. know yeah, that. Yeah. I think that's true in real Dormammu, life. Dormammu, I've uh, come I've come to bargain with you. Um, <laughs> I didn't realize that till reading after. But no, so the the whole dog thing, right? So um the dog was this hellhound supposed to be summoned to be like the the side piece to the Antichrist, like the protector and everything. And you got a little bit in the series that whenever Adam's like, I just want a dog named Dog, it's going to be a tiny dog or whatever. Yeah. There was this whole thing, and you kind of saw it in the series where this is just Hellhound, and then it just turns into the small dog. There it was supposed to be a moment, and it's just a small moment, but as he's talking about it, you're supposed to hear like an audible like as the dog like squeezes down in yeah. size. It didn't really happen. But then there's this whole struggle of the dog knowing he's a Hellhound throughout the entire time of being like, I know what I got to do. But he keeps like letting a lot of that go just to be a dog. <laughs> like, eventually, he's like, "I know I'm supposed to be by my master's side, but that cat. I need to go after that cat." Like, and they hinted at they hinted at it. So that's my biggest problem with the series that there's a lot of hinting mm-hmm. at things that like either include it in or don't. Like the whole bit of him walking in the dog walking to the house with like the lucky horseshoe, where the dog had to make the decision of like burning that part of a way of himself sure. and being a dog. I don't really ever think he got the struggle of the hellhound just wanting to be a dog versus being a hellhound. And that was a really great little comedic beat through all of that. I get that you only have six episodes and six hours and there's other things that happen. I'm, I will talk about here in a second that you're going to be like, Oh, that happened. That game and said, because due to time and money, we had to cut. Sure. I feel like there's a lot of shortcutting in the series. And a lot of this, like not shortcutting in the bad way, but it, so Tell me, you tell me how you felt about the use of Queen being used with Crowley driving his car, his Bentley. How did you feel about all that all the time? I didn't mind it. I thought it was fine. Do you know why that happened? Uh, because there was a movie called Bohemian Rhapsody last year <laughs> that uh, bolstered Queen's yeah, that's already exactly, legendary yeah, yeah, that's status. Exactly like, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, honestly, Queen is a legendary uh, band. They're... Uh, I guess they don't question it when they pop up in a movie. I will say that, and again, this is just the guy who loves Metallica talking about the fact that they didn't use Metallica's The Four Horsemen to introduce The Four Horsemen. I thought that would have been cool, but you know, there's already a Queen vibe going throughout the series, and I, I feel like that may have actually been the only band that they used music from, so I wouldn't focus too hard on it, but I just thought it was a music choice for the sake of... It's Queen. It's it's hot again. Um, it's a legendary band. It's it's they're British, obviously. So 
My that was my take on it. So I want to read a quote from the book. Um, and okay. this this is just me. Like it's one of those things what showed up in the series. I'm like, this is great, but it's like all they had to do was have him toss off some dialogue, and it would have been like fixed. And I. I know I'm being hypocritical here in terms of like, you got to judge things on its own, but like, no, we got to do this. Right. So, all right. Crowley was currently doing 110, 110 miles per hour, somewhere east of Slough. Nothing about him looked particularly demonic, at least by classical standards, no horns, no wings. Admittedly, he was listening to best of queen tape, but no conclusions should be drawn from this because all tapes left in a car for more than a fortnight metamorphs into best of queen. Well, that's a funny line. So this was written at a time before like CD decks. Yeah. Any cassette tapes he left in the car would eventually morph into Best of Queen. So there's a whole bit later where Zephyril is in the car with him and he's hearing Queen. He's like, well, can we listen to something else? He's like, yeah, I can just grab a tape out of the glove box. And there's a whole thing where like all the tapes were like listed with like classical masters like Beethoven, Bach, whatever. And there's a whole bit where Zephyril's like, he didn't much care for Beethoven's uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, but he did like Tchaikovsky's fat bottom girls like this whole thing <laughs> where he didn't even realize that over time every single tape in his car becomes best of queen that's and a funny it, joke and, it, and it's a funny joke because that the, and so gaiman actually kind of like said that like he felt that like in crowley's mind that that was like the best album and like the best music so there's this whole thing of like there's this personality att- attached to the car that um it would affect everything and it's like you could have had that in the in the whole thing. It's kind of a joke of like anytime you see Crowley and his Bentley, you're going to hear Queen. That does seem like an, uh, a missed opportunity. You for could have just joke. tossed it off with him and Azafra in the car yeah. because there's a bit where they made a whole joke about the Velvet Underground, and I'm like, great, put the Velvet Underground in, and you hear Queen, right? Like, but it just so here, here's here's me. And this is what I'm going to say. This this is me. You guys can yell at me later. Steve Steve enjoyed the series. I did too, but. This is a book that is that is packed full of stuff in the margins. Like mm-hmm. so much like if you actually look at the text, there's always those little asterisks like footnotes that I feel like uh Terry Pratchett put in. Like Azafriel actually has his bookshop, but one of his prize collections is a, a series of misprinted Bibles. And he and there's there's a whole <laughs> side note about these Bibles that aren't correct, and one of them was a typesetter that was pissed off at his ba- boss. So like you go through the the verses, and then halfway through it just cuts into this guy bitching about his boss. <laughs> it shows up. Not that I'm saying that that all should have showed up in the series, but there was so much in the margins that like um, the bit when you met um, Famine at the the weird restaurant in the middle of America, and he's like selling f- the chow, right? Yeah. Uh, there's a whole bit where someone looks over and sees Elvis like serving food. Like you're like, Oh, what's going on with that? There was this whole random thing going on about like this whole like weekly world news thing being the newspaper that actually talked about reality going on and no one paid attention to it. And there's all these little side notes about the stuff that it reported accurately, but no one cared about. But I feel like we'd already seen that joke in men in black. That's fair. But it's like, if you're going then don't, don't show it. And then also to speak to the four horsemen, did you feel like they were realized characters? I feel like they were just kind of thrown in with a no, name, I mean, like a title card, and moved on. No, I mean they're not realized characters. They're again very much in the same way that Adam is there to move the plot along. I, I didn't feel like, and again, it's it's hard for me to say that simply because of the fact that I enjoy Crowley and Aziraphale so much that I was anything that was not them on screen. I was just waiting for them to come back. Yeah, and so like so, war shows up for a second, 
and you get the idea that she's supposed to be this like you know reporter, and she shows up to this like piece of coordinates. Okay, like it's an okay bit. Um, but there's a, there's a whole like backstory about how all the war reporters are pissed off at her because she all she writes about the, is the violence but not the politics, and her writing's very pulpy and gross. And the rest of the reporters are like, how does she always get the scoop on this? It's mm-hmm. because she's showing up and causing it, right? And then with Famine, there's a whole bit, too, where he eventually writes a book about foodless dieting. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and there's a whole thing where he's, like, meeting with, like, a supermodel. And, like, she's been, like, foodless dieting for, like, two weeks. And he can see, like, bones sticking out of, like, like or, like, not sticking out, but, like, oh, yeah. on the out, like, near her. And, like, this whole thing where you get the idea that he's, like, enjoying watching people just completely collapse right and then chow being a food substitute like they rush through it real fast yeah. right and then so the whole pestilence thing sorry um, pollution is mentioned so quickly that you don't get an idea for pollution who they are um so recently william shatner of all people tweeted at neil gaiman saying hey uh not to plague you but i thought one of the horsemen of the apocalypse was plague not pollution is what they but Bill Shatner, clearly Bill Shatner's <laughs> yeah. read, read books. And then, uh, so the new gamer wrote back, pestilence retired in Good Omens world when antibiotics were discovered and not knowing about the opportunities ahead, which is true. It was a nice cast off. Like in the forties, pestilence is like, I'm out. Penicillin was invented. I'm done. He quit as a horseman <laughs> and pollution moved in. How you didn't, you didn't need a cutaway. You could have just said that because pollution was there along a riverbank. Yeah. So that all, I just, it's one of those things where it's like the joke's there. Like you could have made it and moved on and you didn't bring more color to the world. You just showed like pollution sitting on a stream and looking at everything being beautiful. Well, I think, so this is as somebody who hasn't read the book, because I'm sure you could pick something and throw me against the wall on like my views on it. But uh, okay. So I have, I have not, this podcast is just all things that Steve has not read. Um, but I've not read the Lord of the Rings books. Um, Oh, Sauron's a bad guy. <laughs> I think I figured that part out. They walk a lot. Um, there's a lot. <laughs> you see clerks too. So yeah. you've seen Randall's interpretation of Lord of the Rings. Uh, it's kind of my see. interpretation of clerks. Like, of, uh, walk, walk, uh, walk, 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 and I'm like, oh, ring off, toss. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, the joke about the, the trees being walking as well. Yes. Um, is probably one of my favorite parts. But uh, <laughs> no, I. My brother was, uh, we were having a discussion about it, and he'd read the books, and he was like, you know, he was talking about, you know, things that he felt could have been done better in the movie versus the book, and I'm like, there's got to be a line at some point where, you know, we have to let just an adaptation go in the sense that those books are so dense, there's no way that they were going to get everything. No, I agree. And you can certainly... And again, it's hypocritically a say because I'm sure if you pick something that I desperately love uh, and threw it up against uh, an adaptation, I would have the same arguments. Um, but I will say that I don't know that I felt that it was a lesser experience. I will say that the two things that you've pointed out to me so far, I do think would have made better jokes. Oh, I got a better one coming ones. up. You're going to be so upset that this was not included. Okay. And so, um, so I, uh, two things. One, 
um, the four horsemen when they got assembled and they're supposed to be going to Tadfield because they thought they were going to go to Med- Megiddo or whatever, like the, the Throne of Skulls, yeah. right? For not Throne of Skulls, that's 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 a metal album, but like, <laughs> so the whole notion that like the kid that was switched out to be the Antichrist named Warlock, yeah, there's a whole bit where like they're all waiting like for the apocalypse to happen, which that happens in the series here, and they're all just waiting and it just doesn't happen. Uh, so then the four horsemen are summoned to Tadfield and they're all riding motorcycles, which I thought was cool. Uh, it doesn't really say a whole lot with pollution, but like it's just leaking oil as they're driving along going there. So there were four other horsemen of the apocalypse listed. So they go to meet someplace and these like biker guys see them. And they're like, Oh, what's going on? We got to ride with these guys. So this is these bikers riding with the horse. <laughs> and, and Neil Gaiman admits that like that was cut due to time and budget. So here is the line <laughs> from the book. And it was a wonderful thing because they're riding with the four horsemen. They realized they were the four horsemen of the apocalypse, but they're like, we need to be called four horsemen. So one was called grievous bodily harm, cruelty to animals, really cool people. And, Treading in dog shit. Formerly all foreigners, especially the French, formerly things not working properly, even <laughs> after you've given them a good thumping. Never actually no alcohol lager. Briefly embarrassing personal problems. And finally, people covered in fish. So, <laughs> like, so the fourth one could never find a name he liked. And, like, and they're riding along with the four horsemen. Eventually, there's like this big like pile up in like, like a, a highway. And the, the four horsemen just like take off and fly on their bikes and the, yeah. the, the, the bikers with them can't do it and they just crash in and die. But the whole fact that they have this big dialogue about who they should be and the fourth one could never figure out who he wanted to be. It's like, I understand there's a pacing and timing issue, but it's one of the best jokes in the book where you have the other four horsemen, especially one of them called really cool people. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Like it just bugs me because like when they all meet in the diner and they all hang out and death shows up. So death is in the book. And I don't know how you could do this in the series. Anytime he speaks, he doesn't actually speak in like a dialogue. Okay. It's always like in their heads. It's always in caps. Like it's always like I'm death, right? You get the notion over time that he doesn't understand technology. So when they get to the air base, like like war's doing their thing, like fa- like fam is doing his thing, and death's like oh that that's yeah, and like eventually death just kind of fades in the background because he doesn't understand computers. It's like <laughs> it's a wonderful joke that they didn't they couldn't they could have like hinted at, yeah. and it was great to see death just be like oh well that's fine, and like just kind of goes away. And like it just kills me that these little, these little bits and moments that were there, and then the bit with the delivery driver when you had him talk to his wife. It didn't add anything. Like mm. you get that he he's loved by his wife. Yeah. And then the whole bit like here's one of the biggest things I'll say that I was frustrated with. I love Frances McDormand. I think she's a great actress. I think she's a treasure. I don't think she was the best choice for God. I need someone I need John Cleese. I need someone super British and super snarky. That's what I need for that series. Uh, uh... I don't know that I agree with that, though. I we're done here. Good night, guys. <laughs> no, I mean, and it, I I thought that. So as I was describing the series to my wife, um, to try and get her interest in watching it, um, one of the things I mentioned was that it felt very Brian Fullerish. Um, for those of you who know Brian Fuller is, 
Um, and in, admittedly, we're taking Hannibal out of the equation, but I'm, I'm talking about... <laughs> it's almost exactly like Hannibal. It shows that he did, like... Um, uh, pushing Up Daisies? Pushing Daisies and uh, Dead Like Me, yeah. uh, where there's a narrator telling the story. Uh, it felt very much in line with that. And I don't know that had you changed the voice of God that it would have improved it in any way, at least not for me specifically uh, watching it as somebody who hasn't read the book. Now, maybe God has a different kind of, not connotation, a different um, voice in the books than he than they do in the series, but I, I, I don't know that I felt that her performance was any more lacking had it been someone, you know, like let's say had it been, um, you know, Idris Elba. Like, I don't know that... I will also accept that that would have been fine. No, but it, <laughs> no, it's like, I'm not saying, like, if that's who you land on, that's fine. But it's like, there, there, there there's just some of the line reading she gave was like, it, it, it's okay, but I feel like... So here, here's the two analogies I came up with while thinking about this before we started recording. One, in, in terms of, of playing billiards, when you shoot the cue ball to get, like, the proper spin that you want to hit the ball and move on, you need to put more English on it. I would argue that this narration needed more English on it. Like, like, okay. and, and then also I feel like a lot of this, this, the series was the radio edit of a song. Like you got the three minute version, not the six minute version. Like, I feel like there's a lot of that where, yeah, the melodies in the chorus are the same, but there, there's not all the lyrics. Like, I feel like, but that's, that's me loving this thing where the, the, I love all the details in the margins and you can't possibly bring this forward. I get it. I get it. I get it. But, um, so I don't know. I feel like they should have brought somebody else. Like this is, this is inherently a British novel. It's a inherently, inherently a British voice. I, and you got David Tennant and Michael Sheehan and the leads. It's You could bring a British person in to be God. I'm okay with that. Like, I think that would have been like, I don't know, bring in Helen Mirren. Like, I don't know someone, because unfortunately I feel like British accents are a shortcut to like, you know, sophistication. Like, I don't know why that is because we're American yeah. and we think we all sound like dumb hillbillies. Um, as soon as that's we true. British. We are, we are all dumb hillbillies, but I, I, I'm not saying that hers is the worst. I'm not discrediting her. I just wish there were someone different because there's the bit whenever you introduce pollution and it talks about how the, the um, delivery driver is going up to him saying, Oh, this is a wonderful little stream. There's all these fly fishers, all this and her, his and him and his wife at one point did a little bit of spooning. And at one occasion did a, like they forked, like that's a funny joke. Mm -hmm. Just the way that was delivered was so flat to me that I didn't see. I took it as, you know, God is sort of an observer in this and that's how I felt the readings were. Well, there's um, even the bit too when it talks about she's technically not actually telling us the story. She's she's giving us bits and pieces of it as we go along. Yeah, I mean, there was even the bit late, earlier whenever they mentioned the third child that was mentioned in the mix up of the kids, where it's like he'll be okay. Maybe he'll end up raising like prized tropical fish. Yeah, that's actually paid off later in the book, where like something happens where it's later on. It's like so and so who raises tropical fish was okay. Like it's like oh, it's a third kid. Like yeah. that would have been a funny payoff, but just some of. Some of that line delivery didn't like line land for me, and then the whole segment. Excuse me, I'm getting worked up. Bucket omens with the whole nunnery being like the the basically a paintball shootout that Crowley turned into real weapons, which was fun, but it just didn't get it didn't go far enough. There's these moments that 
are exactly as they are in the book, but I just feel like they weren't provided the definition or coloring that I felt like really could pay off, be paid off. And that's fair. I mean, look, I, I I can't argue those points because I haven't read the book. So that's why I was trying to hold back my frustrations with some of this because I didn't want to color our conversation. But you've read based. the book, so you can't not just disregard that. Like, well, there's that, no- that's fair, but I just <laughs> so. Here's a spoiler for everybody. I'm just going to throw this out here. Here's here's this. Do you know why they are called spoilers? I know we said this earlier. I laughed harder this weekend watching Black Mirror in an episode than I did watching Good Omens. And Black Mirror is not a thing you're supposed to laugh at. But there was a bit of comedy in one of the new episodes that made me howl when it happened that made me react stronger to it than the six hours of Good Omens. And I don't think that's a good thing. And that was frustrating to me. That it occurred to me that it caught me off guard and made me laugh whenever this is a thing that I knew. And I knew that the game and a company had to color in the margins a little bit. I, it's entertaining. And, and, and I didn't enjoy the journey. I enjoyed Tenet and Sheehan and the whole resolution of how they had to face off against their respective, like, you know, bosses. That's not in the book. I liked that kind of interplay there. Yeah, I mean, that's the only thing that I actually uh, was kind of surprised by because Kathy had asked me how it was possible. And I was like, well, they've both kind of walked away from their perspective sides. I'm like, they're, so they're neither demon nor angel, neither of them. Yeah. So I, I thought that that was an ample I thought, explanation. I thought the groundwork was laid there enough for them to... But then yeah. it's just revealed that they were imitating each other when... <laughs> the holy water is poured on who we think is Crowley and just, just David Tennant sitting in a tub asking for a rubber duck was worth it for me. Like I was okay with that. Um, but also the whole thing too, with an Antha and an Anthem device getting the second book of prophecies and then her and pulsifier deciding to just burn it. I feel like that doesn't suit the service of, of that's my uh, chair. I was just like, why is the door opening? (laughs) And, uh, um, um, what's her name? Um, Oh, the person who wrote the book, uh, the the uh, um, the prophecies. Uh, what's her name? Nutter. Agnes Nutter's would come in and just punch me in the face because it's been you know, prophesied. The whole thing of them taking the second book and just burning it. I, I kind of like that as a character point. In the book, it was implied that like, oh crap, we got to do the rest of this. It was okay, but wouldn't Agnes see that the whole book of prophecies would be burned after being right about everything? That seems a bit weird to me. Um, also, the whole thing too of Pulsifier having. The whole joke about his dog, his dog, his sorry, his car named Dick Turpin, that didn't pay off well at all. Like there was supposed to be the impl- implication that that guy couldn't handle technology whatsoever, and the only thing that worked ever half right was his car, which was supposed to be an earlier um, '80s hybrid between American and Japanese technology before japan figured out how to make cars okay so this whole thing never worked right so his car was called dick turpin because the thing never functioned right helped traffic so there's supposed to be this whole the whole running joke of the one thing that actually would work around him was his car and that car would never work entirely right anyway i didn't know why you had to bring in the name of his car at that point it felt like that was a joke that didn't pay off well when in the book you had actually had like the voice commands it was supposed to be like an Asian gentleman like speaking English with like a horrible English accent, like giving like, like, you know, seatbelts in place or something while this Mm -hmm. whole car is like malfunctioning around him. But it functions enough because pulsifier 
is just not good around tech, but this is the one thing that functions well enough around him. It's just the car. I don't know. That felt like a joke that didn't pay off very, very well. And, and it didn't need to happen. It didn't need to be in the, in the, the series. Sure. Okay. I don't I, know how you feel. <laughs> sure. You gave, you gave me a dismissal comment. So. No, I, that's, it's not dismissive towards you. I will say that. And I actually mentioned it earlier. An Anthema pulsifier, um, the witch hunter, witch finder general, witch finder general, um, all those characters to me were sort of subservient to getting back to, uh, like I said, Aziraphale and Crowley. I've said that like three times now. But did and you so, like the notion that they both had a network of like contacts that turns out just to be the same same guy? person? Yeah, I thought that was <laughs> and, funny, and also that he was just making up different witchfinders. Like, did you right. did you pick up on that? Where he's like, oh, Sergeant Salt and Sergeant Ten. <laughs> like, it goes further into the book because like you get the idea that Paul, that the, the witchfinder uh, general doesn't have an imagination he can't think of names <laughs> like, and michael mckeon like i said he elevates he elevates that role uh because it's like he's kind of a toss away thing in in the book other than him witnessing what happens to aziraphale and him believing that he can actually you know dismiss like witches and demons i, I don't know like it's is this something worth watching if you've not read the book and i feel like i've spoiled some of this so i'm sorry uh, we're cool people we're one of the horsemen of the apocalypse Yes. Is it something worth watching if you've read the book? Sure. If you can overlook some of the sheer joy that was to be had in the book, I didn't like the transitions of the weird sign being held up repeatedly, like with talking about day and time where it did like this weird, like stained glass, not stained glass, but like this, like, um, I don't Three know. hours to the end of the earth. Yeah, but like there's a Three filter hour. put over yeah. the sign every time where it was felt like you're looking yeah. through like, like a shower door. Like, I don't know how to describe it. It was like a textured, like glass look. Yeah, and that felt very cheap to me. I didn't like that. Like you could have done that transition better. Um, the series felt very TV like, it, but it didn't need to be there. Like because there was enough there. Like the whole um, we didn't even get into. I'm glad that they paid off the bit of Crowley um, jiggering the whole um, interstate to be a symbol towards an ancient evil. I'm glad they paid that off because it wasn't implied earlier in the series, but they went back to show you that he did that. That's talked about early in the book that he took a lot of time and place to put that like in action yeah. and none of the demons cared nor understood, which they, they paid that off. Um, so I'm glad that they did that. Um, but just the whole signage thing kind of bugged me. Um, I don't know. I liked it, but I didn't love it. Okay. And that that's, that's completely fair. I mean, uh, it's hard for me to come at it in the same perspective simply because I haven't read the books. No, I'm not My trying to tell you you're wrong, to, no, but you no, liked it. So I don't think good. that you're... No, and I don't think you disliked it. I don't think you're you're like being like, this is utter shit. I think that you, know, you have problems with it because you've read the book. So my question to you would be, what would have been the solution? Like ten episodes and kind of okay. like color more on the margins because if you took a half hour to show relationship between uh, and I'm, I'm just playing ten as an arbitrary number, I get it. If you took a half hour to show the relationship between Crowley and Aziraphale, then you could have took more time to color in some of the other stuff, like the whole thing of like Atlantis being risen and you see the cruise ship, like that's okay. But they didn't like. There's this things that happened with Adam's uh, uh, imagination that didn't have time to breathe. Okay. Like you could have let this world kind of grow more 
and be more ridiculous, and they didn't do that. So here, uh, here's the thing uh, when it comes to, and I'm going to actually use a adaptation for something else that I don't really have a strong opinion on, but what is the difference between this and, say, Watchmen? which people seem to love, but Watchmen doesn't stick as close to the material as, as say, you, like the entire no, ending's different. No, like, you're right. You're, so, you're absolutely 100% right. So, But people universally kind of point to that, and they're like, well, Watchmen did it right. No, 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 no. That, that you're absolutely right. So I can tell you that your mileage may vary, and maybe my opinion is not lining up with everybody. But this is one of those things where it's like either – Either I'm entertained by something or I'm not. And I, and for me personally, watching this, two hours in, I didn't like that I was watching and checking for episode times and seeing how much longer I was through this because this is something I've been waiting for like when it was announced and it's been teased for like four months over mm-hmm. like everything. And I'm like, you have great casting. You have... Uh, game and overseeing all the writing you have all this like this should be the thing that i roll around in and just tell everybody that you need to watch good omens and i come away from it flat and cold and i don't like like, i'm not saying it's not worth the watch because there are much worse things that i've spent more than six hours getting into absolutely uh and the performances enough are worth it like we just we talked about tenet is amazing sheehan's amazing um uh, Michael McKeon's amazing. Like they're like, and I don't want to hold it. Like I feel like it's easy to blame the writer, which would be game in writing all this. It's just, there's just, I think some of the creative decisions for the sake of brevity and for sake of budget. And there's, there's multiple times during these episodes where they show you what just happened. I'm like, we don't need this in a runtime. We don't need all this. And, but I just feel like there was, there's opportunities to like, like put pens in some of the jokes that I feel like what, like I just, I absolutely adore that Crowley loves his vehicle and loves his, you know, he loves the Bentley and he loves everything so much about it that that's the way this car functions. I, I like that. Like they didn't give it like, why was he able to pull the dents out of the vehicle earlier? Because like they hit an, anantha and, and whatever with the bike, anantha, you know, whatever. Sure. I'm past that point that the, her bike hits the vehicle and he's able to pull all the dents out. But then when the car collapses from like fire damage that he's not able to pull it together. You know, I feel like there's a weird thing there. I feel like at that point his priorities have changed. Yeah, but he, he has a whole says, moment of like, mourning. We spent nine, 90 years together, you know, um, and this is where it ends, that yeah. kind of thing. Um, and again, I think it's it's, and I'm not taking you to task for your views. Please don't take it that way. I, I, I am I, so offended right now. No, I just I, I I think it's interesting as somebody who hasn't read the books. That like my criticism is is that like I could have done with everything else except for <laughs> you know I could have done more with Crowley and, and uh, Aziraphale, um, so I I certainly understand coming at it from a viewpoint of hey I've read this book I love this book um, and what I was given left me cold I I absolutely understand that and I I don't disagree at all with some of the things that you brought up because I'm like oh that that is an interesting idea and why, why didn't they pursue that further um you know I guess it 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 comes down to that thing of you know any adaptation comes with its own baggage and yeah no I agree you know I, it's unfortunate to me to hear that like cuz I know how excited you were because when you originally you know uh, 
when you originally had said to me, hey, let's watch this for the show, I was like, oh, that's six hours. That's a big commitment. And I was already busy at the time. And I know that you were chomping at the bit to get to it. So, like, I can certainly understand your... I don't even know that you're disappointed. I don't think you... I think that you you didn't feel that it was the adaptation that the book deserved. But, so, you're right, you're right. And that's completely different from, like, reading a book and being like, I love this book, and then seeing an adaptation of it. And I'm trying to think of, like, the worst adaptation that I've ever seen. I I always go back to... It's not quality of the movie, but I always go back to The Running Man, which (laughs) is so far from the book that if you were somebody who dearly loved that short story and then went and saw that movie, you'd be like, what? Oh, it's completely different than... Yeah, 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 no, no. So, So I'd put this, like, so... When you and I talked about the Dark Tower, like the film, um, yeah. and that that was trying to do a lot of things in a very short running time. Yeah, another book I haven't read. Yeah, well, the, the, it's seven, <laughs> but whatever. Um, and but you came away with it being like it was okay, but not great. And I kind of came up, like landing on the same way with you. Yeah. With this, it's it's okay, but not great. Uh, if if people enjoyed this, if you enjoyed this, if your wife enjoyed this, I would just recommend reading the book. And I, I know. I'm trying not to be like that purist, like the book was better, but there's so much in the, 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 the sides and the corners of this book that make it like delightful. I never got the sense of delight sure. while watching this. And that is frustrating because there's so much about it that works well. Um, it's just, it is what it is. So anyway, I feel like let's just put a pen in this. We'll be how many angels can dance on the head of the pen. That was the one moment of the series that I liked whenever they talked about mm. angels dancing on the head of the pen. You see Michael Sheehan dancing <laughs> the one particular dance and then how it went out of style and him just smiling about it. That was like, I really appreciated them trying to do the brief asides with all that, but it's like, there needed to be just a little bit more of that. Like there needed sure. to be just a little bit of that peppered in, but whatever. Anyway, so <laughs> I hope I hope you guys, if you've not watched this or read the book, that I've not completely taken you away from it. I'm I'm hoping that, that Steve's uh, like I liked it. Like I hope that that recommendation wins through. It's worth watching. It's six hours. It, you can get through it. Like there's television series that are double that time that are not worth your time that you probably watched. Well, I I will also phrase rephrase this as. Uh you don't have to say, I'll get through it. Because, like, getting through it is, like, you know, uh, sitting through a marathon of the Twilight films. Like, you're like, yeah, I'll get through it, I guess. No, but you liked but, it. You you really did enjoy it. Yeah, I enjoyed okay. it. I mean, were there things that that I was like, yeah, I could have done without that. Or, yeah, that was interesting. But I... Or I need four more horsemen. <laughs> no. I, I just, I felt like, you know, the things that I was... I, I was always waiting for those two characters to come back into the story. Um, because they're so wonderfully set up at the beginning of the series. And uh, as much as I thought Anthema was an interesting idea, and I thought that... I want to say his name's Pulitzer, but it's not Pulitzer. And it's not Peltzer, because it's Billy Peltzer from Gremlins. Pulsifier, I think. Pulsifier. Um, I felt like either they were short shrift of the the story or were just there to move the plot along. Yeah, it works better in the book. I'll just say that. But whatever. Anyway, so, yeah. No, I'm glad that you enjoyed it. There are worse ways to spend six hours. We'll put it that way. Did your wife enjoy it, ultimately? Um, to my understanding, yes. I, here's the thing. My wife came in on episode four. Did she go I, back and watch the first three? I don't know if she has yet, oh. because we literally finished it last night. So, um, I don't know if that's what she's doing this evening, but I was trying to convince her that she should watch the first three before jumping in, uh, and that fell on deaf ears. 
So, all right. So, all right. That's going to do it for our talk about good omens. We didn't even get into some of the the character designs, which I thought the demons were interesting and the angels were okay. Like in terms of like, like the demons when you saw them with like the reptiles and amphibian mm-hmm. heads were kind of cool. I will say that I don't know that I've not seen John Hamm play a character that's not a dick. <laughs> like Gabriel in this is a total dick. Uh, his character in Bridesmaid, total dick. <laughs> Just take a nappy um, in my lappy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, and I, 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 did you watch him in Thirty Rock, playing like the super attractive doctor that does does not understand life? Yeah, I uh, did. <laughs> he ends up getting both his hands cut off because he waved getting out of a helicopter, helicopter. like because <laughs> he's in the bubble, you know. Um, yeah. So yeah, I kudos to John Hamm, I guess, for continuing that streak streak of of being a character who's sort of a dick. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that's our talk about good omens. You guys can let us know how you feel about the series. Tell me why I'm wrong. I'll be willing to own that. That'd be great. I don't think you're wrong. I just think you come at I'm it just, a different perspective. I'm just perspective. frustrated. Like I, I love it a great deal, and I, the, like, so I, I actually believe that I'll end up like convincing my wife to to listen to portions of the audiobook while we're driving to and from our uh, temporary vacation spot mm-hmm. this weekend, and I will, I will enjoy that because it's an enjoyable little book. Um, read the book. Read Neil Gaiman. Read, read Terry Pratchett. Oh, also, here's a little detail for you. The one book of Discworld that I've read, Death Makes. Uh, it's called uh, was it Mort? Uh, he was a print. He was an apprentice to death. Apprentice to death. So he was Death Junior or something to that effect. I forget the name of the book, but so Death Death is the same character in that book as he is here, where he like speaks all in caps, but you don't hear him talk. Mm-hmm. And there's a one point where they actually meet Rat Death, who is a small. Grim Reaper that's the size of like a rodent. Okay. And he's also death, but he's the death of all rodents. So you meet rat death. <laughs> like I love that Terry Gilliam kept kept death on in his series. He actually made like <laughs> multiple appearances. So I like that. Um so yeah, that's my tease is that read Terry Gilliam, read Neil Gaiman, read oh there's some delightful things to be had out there. Read good omens and then watch the series and Tell me if I'm wrong or not. And but, then yeah. read uh, Batman Secret Origins for number one yeah, from read, uh, 1989. Read 1602, which I'm going to force Steve to take right now. So <laughs> yeah, that's going to do it for our talk about uh, uh, Good Omens. Uh, so before we get to our game here, uh, you can find us on Facebook. We're at Evasion of the Podcast. You can find our blog, EvasionThePodcast.com, where I'm writing about our Year of the Canon, which, sorry, Year of Canon. Uh, we'll talk about more of that in a second. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Music, Stitcher, Podbean, Satchel, wherever you get your podcast, you can rate and review us. And Steve, how can people find you separately? You can find me at the Saturday Night Slasher.com, on Instagram under the Saturday Night Slasher, and on Twitter under the Saturday Slasher. Um, you can also find us June 29th through 30th in Hudson, Ohio at Dark X Fest. Guests include Bill Johnson, Don, John Dugan, Dan Yeager, uh, a whole. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre reunion going on there, plus Felissa Rose from Sleepaway Camp. It's going to be a good time. Come out, uh, look at my comic, and then think about buying it and walking away. No, think about it. Just buy it. <laughs> I may or may not be there get, offering other free things that you could just take from me and not buy the comic. No, just buy the comic. So, yeah. Uh, if, if, if no other reason than to just get me to shut up about it. So. <laughs> Yeah, give Steve money so he'll shut up. That's it. No, no. All right. All right. Uh, yeah. Enough plugging things. Let's just get to the game. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> so I chose because 
not only am I going away for a weekend and having fun in a cabin and may or may not be dead. I, I have know. to work. Wah, wah. My, my weekend starts now. Um, it's also National Camping Month. So I decided mm. what I would do, because I am super original, that I'm going to give you the camp name. You tell me what property it's from. So it's Ooh. TV show or movie. Just so All right. Uh, we'll, we'll do an example here real quick so you know what I'm talking about. Camp Krusty. Well, that would be from The Simpsons. Yeah, so that's when Bart and Lisa went to Camp Krusty and they dealt with Mr. Black. You know, so, all right. <laughs> all right. Um, Camp Kikakee. It's a, it's a, it's a first Camp. in a series of films in which a guy who talks to the camera, um, you know, went to a summer camp. And then later on, he uh, dealt with Halloween and jail. Halloween in jail. And is, Christmas, he saved it once. Is it, is it from Ernest? What's the name of the film? Ernest saves. Uh, Ernest goes somewhere cheap. I don't. <laughs> Ernest goes to camp. Okay. That's the first one. That he oh, yeah. so uh, Ernest goes somewhere cheap is from a Simpsons joke. Actually, that's one of the movies <laughs> they go see. All right, so uh, Camp North Star. What franchise is this from? That's from the X Men. He's he's uh... North Star. Yeah, it's Camp. It's Camp. <laughs> uh, homosexual mutant. No, uh, Camp North Star. It's from a eighties series that had multiple sequels that had a pretty big comedic star in the first one. Um, Camp North Star. There's Caddyshack connection here. How about that? Caddyshack connection. I'm I'm now running through the the like uh uh the folks who were in uh Caddyshack. Um oh god. <laughs> um I, I'm gonna give. I, I'm. I mean, all I can think of is is that the lead from Caddyshack was eventually on Roseanne, but I don't believe that that's. No, that's not correct. But there's another person from Caddyshack that uh, also was successful in a paranormal series from the '80s, in which there was uh, some things busted that happened to be ghosts. <laughs> what? I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm like, oh, you're gonna kick yourself, Bill Murray. Oh, meatballs. There you go. That's right. That's right. Uh, when you said series, I thought you were talking about a television series. So I got, I got stuck in like trying to figure out a TV series okay. that would attach to it. All right. So all right. Next one. Um, Camp Blackfoot or or Camp Stonewater. So both these camps are featured in this film. Uh, Adam Sandler's Values. No, it's no. It, it's a. It's a movie that you and I talked about last year. How about that? It's part of the like year, year, the year of the knockoff. So year of the knockoff. Yeah. Oh god, the burning. <laughs> You're right. Okay. Uh, all right. So let's Ryan see. was asking me about. It. He's like, should I watch the burning? I'm like, not no. really. No. Um, so what about Camp Chippewa? Oh God! I feel like isn't isn't Camp Chippewa? Isn't that from like the Salute Your Shorts or? Uh... It's not from Salute Your Shorts. It uh, is from a film. It's from a film. Um, <laughs> Camp Chippewa. It sounds familiar. That's not from Sleepaway Camp, is it? No. Okay. Um, Camp Chippewa. Can I can I just tell you you're gonna kick yourself? Yeah. It's from Ab's Family Values. You just said oh, that. I just said it. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, Camp Anawana. It's from. It could be from a TV series or for a film. It's from a TV series. 
God, it's so familiar. <laughs> I don't want to. Um, uh, you're going to tell me, and I'm going to immediately go, Yeah, oh, it's yeah. from Salute Your Shorts. You just mentioned uh, that as well. <laughs> so I, I just busted through all, yeah, already the answers those. that yeah, I... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, so... um. Unnamed camp that has the world's sexiest hot tub. <laughs> Pretty sure you watched this like somewhat recently. Is this from Hot Tub Time Machine? No, it's from Madman. Oh god. <laughs> yeah, Madman's got a really hot, sexy hot just, tub scene. I, I tried looking up the name of that camp, but I couldn't find it. So yeah. <laughs> and a guy who makes pig noises. Yeah, yeah. Uh Tall Oaks Band Camp. Is is that from American Pie? That's correct. Uh, Camp Hope. Camp Hope. I'll give you. I'll give you this. There's a large inflatable like <laughs> item in the lake that guys kids jump on and like one hits it, and one gets like just thrown in the air. It's called the blob. I I for whatever reason I was I suddenly was thinking of that episode of The Office where they go on the like retreat and. Uh, <laughs> I think Andy's in like the sumo outfit and floats away. No, um, this is from uh it's from an early it's a mid-90s film. It's one of early Judd Apatow scripts. Has Ben Stiller in it. It's a Disney film. It's not Bubble Boy, is it? No. It is it is a camp film. A camp film with Ben Stiller. Yeah, it deals with a fat camp. <laughs> uh I'm blanking. Heavyweights. Oh, I've never seen it, oh, thankfully. Okay. Thankfully, it's actually not a bad film. It's actually okay. Um, all right. So, what else do I got here? Uh, oh, Camp Firewood. Camp Firewood. It was a movie and also two seasons of a TV series on Netflix. Um, a movie that was also two seasons of a series on Netflix. Oh, God. <laughs> I like it much better when I write the games. And, yeah, that's true. Whatever, uh, versus when I ask you questions. No, yeah, uh, it's fr- do you have an answer? I'm trying to think of something that was two ser- seasons on Netflix, um, particularly a, a series. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm at a loss. It is What Hot American Summer. Oh, why didn't I get that? All right. Okay. Uh, A couple more here. Uh, Space Camp. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to guess that's from Space Camp. That's right. Yes, yes. Uh, Next one. Just follow up. Camp Candy. Uh, Is that from the John Candy cartoon series that was on in the 80s? What's the name of it? Was it the John Candy cartoon? (laughs) Like I I don't know what it was called. It's called Camp Candy. Oh, Camp Candy. (laughs) All right. Yeah, I felt like that was the same joke over and over again, but I just had to say it. All right. Um, what else do I have here? Uh, one more. Actually, two more. Sorry. Uh, Camp Force Green. Uh, You're going to hate yourself. Is that what they rename um, Camp Crystal Lake in the Friday 13th series? Which 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 film? It's part six, isn't it? You're absolutely right. There you go. Yes. I thought you were going to get tripped up on that. To be fair, I hate myself no matter what the answer is, but... uh... (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Last one is Camp Arawak. Oh, my God. That's... Is that Sleepaway Camp? That's correct. Yeah. All right. So, 
Yeah, you did pretty good there. You did, I did you, pretty yeah, good. I yeah. needed a lot of poking and prodding on like meatballs, and then <laughs> you I did answered like your prodding on meatballs. <laughs> I did answer like you know with two other uh, camp properties. You said that would you follow said them later. before I could give yeah. them to you. So no, that was there. You go. That's our camp game, and you did you did pretty good. Um, so you get a badge. I don't know what that means. So all right, next week we're going to continue our year of canon as we talk about 1985's. King Solomon's Mines. Expect it to go long. I mean, what? <laughs> no, it's, it, I mean, I felt like this should have been our year of the knockoff, but we didn't do it. So here we go. Richard Chamberlain and kind of an Indiana Jones thing, whatever. And Sharon Stone. Yeah, and give me that Stone Woman. Is this the one? Is this the one with Elvira, or is it the second one? I don't know. We're going to find out. All and right. uh, but yeah, we're going to talk about King Solomon's Mines. I'm sure it's available to be found to stream. If not, it's probably it's probably out there. It has to be out there, right? Yeah, I kick myself since I was at a flea market. That feels like something I should have been able to easily find. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, yeah, let's go do it for us this week. Uh, have a great week, and we'll see you next week for more canon stuff. So, in the meantime, saunter vaguely downward. Sweet. <laughs>